Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout-out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, We've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, His wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039S hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's gofundme.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S dash butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from, and uh, so we share that as well, and just a huge superhero fan, and, you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that, and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated just hang in there matt you'll beat this thing soon god damn it i told clark to stop throwing people into my city they always land in the cave who is it this time uh dude fuck man dude man fuck uh that's a long name to memorize who are you oh man i'm like a hero and uh, my name is, uh, is Jack. Jack? Jack what? Uh, I'm from a distinguished house in my hometown. Maybe you've heard of it, L? Wait, your name is Jack L? Jackal? Your name is Jackal. Yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm like a vicious animal, man. It's kind of weird. Where are you from, Jackal? Why were you thrown over here by Superman? I'm like, uh, the Earth expression is, I think, black sheep? Of the L family. Okay. Jackal smokes that crypto weed, man. There's crypto weed. How, wait, how do you smoke that? Wouldn't that, like, kill you? Oh, with the crypto bong, dude. So why were you thrown over here? I just, dude, I just don't like science, dude. That's really what it comes down to. I'm more like an art guy. Alfred, definitely got the kryptonite. They said I was pretentious on Krypton, and I got damn near thro- thrown into the uh, Phantom Zone. But he was nice enough to just throw me in the fucking Batcave, I guess. Man, Clark, he's also got super aim, huh? Yeah, we have a whole group of people in that cell over there, but I don't think that's going to hold you. Why don't you uh, step over here? You know, you see that uh, green Oh, dude, green? Area? Yeah. Well, I do love green, I guess. Oh, good. It reminds crypto you of weed is also green. Yes. Like earth weed. There's a huge stash of crypto weed just right over oh, there. Oh, dude, okay. You can light one up. Oh, dude. This is great stuff. Okay, that should be, be making him weaker. I don't know why he's getting high off of that. Is that Aquaman? My man, what's going on? I love that crypto weed too, man. Alfred, they're starting a drum circle. I don't know what to do. Call Clark. I flew here as quick as I could. Clark, you really need to stop throwing people into the Batcave. Well, uh, I don't say $5 words that much, Bruce, but let me just say, 
I kind of like fucking with you. Welcome, everyone. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's superhero stuff you should know. And today we are continuing our deep dive into the Superman 78 movie, Superman the Movie. This is the man who knows too much about Batman, usually, but today I'm talking about Superman. This is Ben Juan, and with me is my co-host, as always, trying to get the mic off I the mic stand. I like the mic, he does not. <laughs> I don't know why I do this. You mean the mic stand. Mic stand. Yeah, yeah. I like the mic. <laughs> Sorry, I like holding it like this. This is not the mic for that, I know, but gotcha. it works out okay. Gotcha. Anyway, it's Andrew. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> Welcome, Internet, to the pod. Yes, yes. VidPod. So, if you've heard part one, you know the behind-the-scenes story of what it took to get Superman off the ground. The crazy story, really, about how it... <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> how it nearly didn't become the movie that we know it to be yeah. didn't have the director we know it to be didn't have the star didn't even have the theme song the funniest thing was the bagel thing <laughs> I've, I've, I play read, like a bagel. I've been reading more about that <laughs> yeah yeah all the shit that I was reading like yeah it just reconfirmed what you're talking about it's just unbelievable that he just said, said yeah. bagel it's nuts it's it's crazy, but yeah, that's where Marlon Brando was psychologically at the time was checked like, out. Yeah, yeah, psychologically checked out. But apparently, when he got on, he had not read the rest of the script. He only had oh, I don't think he even wow, read his that's part. Shocker! Yet. He had not. Well, yeah, exactly. He's not. <laughs> he hadn't read. But he did. A goddamn thing. He did end up uh, reading all of it, or he claimed to have read all of it, and he went okay. to Tom Mankiewicz, who was the last writer on it, and he called it a, uh, the script, a quote-unquote, a fucking Valentine. He thought it was great. That is interesting. So, so he likes it at the end. He does, he did actually, I think he went from being checked out to appreciating what they were actually doing. It's like, oh, I get what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. there's a nice arc, because, like, I think there's a perception of him based off of the whole bagel story that, yeah. He was phoning it in the whole time. Yeah. And I don't think it was really like that. Right. Uh, I, th I think it was he warmed up to it, and so he was down by the end. He's okay. like, okay, now I understand From this. your research, this is what you get. Yeah, based off okay. the stories that they say. Uh, okay. So we're going to dive into the movie, finally. Uh, <laughs> we haven't gotten the opening credits yet. <laughs> we have yet. not gotten the opening credits okay. at all yet. But there, is a, there was a lot of buildup. It does yeah, make sense. Yeah, it does. If you haven't checked that out, go back to part yeah, one. Yeah, go back to part one. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the scripts. So I have read the original draft that is credited okay. to Puzo, Leslie Newman, Robert Benton, and David Newman. And so I'm going to refer to that as the Benton-Newman draft. The 400-page That's the 400-page one if you combine that with uh, Superman 2. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then there's the final draft that Mankiewicz did all the rewrites for that, that the WGA did not want to give him credit for. So Donner just gave him the creative consultant credit. We, we talked about this. I asked this at the end of the last one, but yeah. I asked, was it found in the edit? And uh, you said yes. And I, again, in my, my uh, addendum research that I did mm -hmm. by myself, it does seem to be the case because they got the ending from the second one that was supposed to be the second one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and they shot like two movies at once. So they were able to kind of make the best one movie out of two movies. It, it was found in the edit. Pretty much. It, yeah. was, it was a situation where they're like, we don't know if we're going to get a Superman 2. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> they, that does make sense Superman though. Superman one's a disaster. We don't know if we're going to get it. They were, they're going to knock it out of the park the first time. It they was really have to. I mean, it was ambitious enough as it was to think yeah. that they would get a sequel to a very experimental yeah. movie. If you think yeah. about it, yeah, nobody had done the serious Superman for sure. superhero movie before. For sure. So, 
Uh, one thing that I thought would be interesting to point out is that technically the title of the movie is not Superman the movie. It's just Superman if it shows oh. up on there. We keep calling it Superman the movie, and it says so right here on the cover. But in reality, it never was actually said said so. It, I mean, uh, yeah, we already so. know it's a movie. Yeah, it's ex- fine. Exactly, yeah, exactly. We don't need that. I know, yeah. I know, but I, I think it's funny that we refer to it all the time. Yeah, uh, like yeah. that. So it's not technically the the actual title. Metropolis Marvel, the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be really confusing in today's day and age. What is going on? <laughs> uh, so in the very beginning, it is dedicated to a man named Jeffrey Unsworth. Uh, in loving Unsworth. Unsworth, U N S W O R T H. Oh, okay. uh, Jeffrey Unsworth was the cinematographer. Oh, okay. For ba- uh, for Superman seventy eight, as well as uh, the scenes that were shot with Richard Donner. Oh yeah, and he's Donner's guy. He's Donner. He was Donner's guy, and he yeah. died of a heart attack in October nineteen seventy eight. So oh, the movie is dedicated to his memory. He never even saw it. No, he didn't because the the final cut was not released until December. God, at least he saw a cut, probably. Yeah, well, yeah, he saw what was going on. Yeah, uh, but again, he worked on some of the Superman two footage. Yeah. So his last known credit is actually the Donner cut of oh, Superman shit. two. Uh, as released in like 2005, 2006. What did he die of? Do you know? A uh, heart attack. Oh yeah, heart attack. He said that. Yeah. Uh, but he was the cinematographer on 2001: Space Odyssey. Of oh, he was. Yeah. Oh shit. So they really pulled out like the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all kinds, dude. Oh man. <laughs> all Talk about like the ultimate like. <laughs> as far as we know, anyway, from our research, it it just just kind of seems like they were kind of like your typical sleaze bag yeah. <laughs> Hollywood producer. Everything you have is perfect. Yeah, uh, they said that like as soon as that that um they were trying to exp- like Don I think Donner was trying to explain the, how he saw the script. The yeah. salt kinds would fall asleep, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, thank God for Donner. Yeah, That's all we got yeah, to say Donner that. really kind of saved this. this yeah. I mean, it was salt kinds original idea. They put the money together, mm-hmm. all that shit. Got it. Doesn't happen without them for sure. But Donner's really the vision here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, their place as producers was pretty much getting the movie off the ground. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Uh, both Donner and Mankiewicz, Tom Mankiewicz, the screenwriter, credit Unsworth for being responsible for the different feels of each world in this movie. Okay. So okay. Krypton very much feels like a sci-fi, sterile yes. environment. You yes. can tell that it's the same. Like, Did it always have like, like an ice crystal kind of look before yeah. the movie? No, no, no. That's, that, came up, that came from them. Okay, yeah. Uh, and some of that's that is good, from the production design. It's kind of a good call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it makes sense because of the Fortress of Solitude, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's probably how that got connected. Uh, and then Smallville's very like Norman Rockwell esque yeah. rural area. Oh yeah, for sure. And then you get to Metropolis, and suddenly it's just like now we're in, now we're officially in a comic book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they credit Unsworth for the feeling of of making them feel like that. Okay. The whole time. That's so, cool. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, he did a great job. There's a lot of great shots in it too. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Classic. yeah really great. Like Americana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of shit. Uh, so we start in 1938 where a kid is narrating and he's opening up a Superman comic book. And funny enough, this is not in any of the scripts. This was actually Richard Donner's idea to go. This is the original. Okay, this is a Poos. Okay, what version of the script is this? I'm talking about the movie. Oh, this. Is the, oh, yeah, that's right. In oh, yeah, movie. that's right. That's right. In it's been movie, a while. So I, yes. Probably should have rewatched it for this, but yes. He's opening up a fucking comic. Okay, you have multiple, we have multiple parts to this yes, series. Anyway, yes, yes, one yes, yes. Time. Uh, but yeah, the kid's opening up the comic book. Yeah. And we sort of go into the world of the comic book. And that was yeah. sort of Donner's idea uh, to 
you're we're literally transported into a comic. Yeah. Uh, on that, but that was actually not how it was originally written. In both the Benton Newman script and the Mankiewicz script, uh, we were supposed to just see a 1938 Metropolis. Oh. Metropolis in the Great Depression, what the Daily Planet looks like, and it looks a little bit more like Fleischer esque in yeah. terms of like very old school, not quite like the the one that we see in the actual movie. Yeah. Um, and we were supposed to see a couple with a baby of a very young, you know, a very young couple with a baby, uh, okay. which would pay off a little later. The Kents? Not the Kents, no, because it's, uh. it's, this is around the same time that Krypton first explodes, and then it takes some time for it to, uh. to show up later. But uh, that's, we would go from the Daily Planet building and all the Great Depression of Metropolis up to Krypton. Oh, shit. Uh, and then the whole sequence with Krypton would happen. And after Krypton exploded, then the credits would show up. That was in the original scripts. That's wild. It that's is pretty weird. cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. So, But that's not what we got in the movie. An homage? Yeah. In the movie, we got uh, Daily Planet going up to the stars and suddenly... dun 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 And then yeah. John Williams plus a title sequence that is brought to us by a man named Richard Greenberg. Okay. Oh, yeah. Most expensive at the time, right? Names going up to the front. I think so. I think so. I would like to think so. I remember hearing this. Okay. It was a very expensive opening credits. It is. It does. So it actually comes from uh, the teaser trailer that they did. Okay. So the teaser trailer for Superman does not actually feature any footage from the movie. What okay. it was was uh, stock footage from the nose of a plane in the clouds. Oh, shit. With a feeling of flying. And all wow. it did was... And then Greenberg came up with the idea, well, what if it was just the names of each star coming up to you? Oh, shit. So if you look at it, and it doesn't even have the John Williams theme because John Williams hadn't signed on at that point. So it's just, you're in the clouds as shot by a plane. And then it says, Marlon Brando, Gene Hatton, Christopher Reeve, who you have no idea who <laughs> You're welcome, is. motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, it's just the Superman. It's not even the, the movie logo. It's the comic book logo. That's like oh, yeah. all colorful. They didn't color, have a movie logo, like, probably. Not yet. Not it did not have the whole blue. Saw kinds are like it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Don't it's you a, worry. It's very much the. It doesn't. It's not the blue lettering from the movie. It's okay. Just it's literally just what was in the comic, and so that's it's an interesting look at. at By the way, the saw kinds. Yeah. You want to do a little corrections department sure, on sure, this? Sure. Let's do this. Yeah. Okay, so it's actually kind of complicated, and the they're apparently, as far as I what I remember, Russian. Jew descent, mm. um, born, I don't know where, but I think raised in Paris and then ended up in Mexico or something. And like, I think, yeah, I think Russian Jew, but like kind of all over the place. Right. I think Ilya at least has the Mexican blood. It doesn't sound like his father did. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I think so. But yeah, the, their, their backstory in and of themselves <laughs> is pretty crazy. And they have some relationship with Zsa, Zsa Gabor or something. I'm sure. Uh, um, they were old. And I kept asking in the last episode where they right. get their money. Their mm. money is just from being in the Hollywood game for a long time. That's they, what I figured. They yeah. were old school Hollywood producers. That's what I figured. So Okay. Yeah. Well, now we know. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. The So that's the that's the classic title sequence with John Williams. And we covered, again, the story of how John Williams got signed on and came up with the Superman theme in, the, in part one. Um, but then we get to Krypton. And this is where a term comes in that I thought would be important to introduce, and you guys who have followed this movie before have heard of it, and it's the term verisimilitude. Yeah, I've, I've, yes, I've heard this. And Donald yeah. even has the words verisimilitude with a graphic of Superman. Yeah. In, like, his office or something, or it was hung up this somewhere. Was, he this was it. smart of him. Uh, but he said, yeah. it's, it's, quote, the appearance of being true or real. So, like, 
pre-Nolan, pre-Burton, anything like that, this is the first time where the guy's like, I want to make it believable. I want it to feel like a real world, even though it's not actually a real world, yeah. but I want it to feel that way. It's weird because now we live in genre world where all the major shit is genre, and they all have verisimilitude. But at, at, probably at this point in time, they didn't have it that much because mm-hmm. genre stuff wasn't quite that big. And the whole idea of like a movie setting up its rules and then following by, by its own rules and not necessarily the rules of reality mm-hmm. uh, was new at the time. And Donner, I think, gets all the credit for this one, right? Yeah. For for this aspect. Um, I, I mean, Nerds, especially, like look at Tolkien, all this shit. Mm-hmm. Like nerd stuff, genre stuff always has like verisimilitude it's it's its own internal rule book uh you know it's like if han solo were to use a force out of someone people are like what what you know I mean, that's kind of a slightly different point but anyway right. i think that stuff's you kind of all rules. connected yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. I yeah yeah and how you set up yeah your own little internal reality in that and don't you don't it doesn't have to be super realistic you know and i think that's that was pulled off well in this movie oh yeah 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 definitely. yeah uh and, and you feel that it's, it's a different world from just uh like 12 years earlier in batman 66 Rob would be like it happened at sea 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 <laughs> for catwoman and suddenly like that's an actual legit conclusion <laughs> robin is figuring out all the clues especially in the first uh first adam west batman uh yeah yeah adam west batman episode uh so this is also why the first line from a character is Jor-El's opening line written by Tom Mankiewicz saying this is no fantasy no careless product of wild imagination that's actually a meta commentary that's amazing yeah that's amazing that's cool Uh, that's all from Mankiewicz that was not in the Benton Newman draft they're meta as fuck back in the day thank you Mankiewicz yeah it is because he he was commenting in the movie he's commenting on how Zod was doing an insurrection on the on Uh the people of Krypton but in the beginning it's kind of to get you into like this is a real world. Right. This right. is the real world of Krypton. Krypton's right. a real thing. Right, right, Now that right. you are sitting your butts in your seats and you've paid us to right. watch this movie. So, uh... All you nerds in 78. Yep. Uh, so this movie fundamentally changed the look and appearance of Krypton and Jor-El, I would say. What did it look like before that? Forgive Krypton my lack of was, Superman comic. I would say Krypton looked very much like you, how you would expect a classic 1940s... Sp- you know, planet to look like sci-fi. Oh, uh, okay. Colors like very colorful. They always had the fucking um the thing on their head too. They, they had, had like an, a tiara yeah, looking thing. Yeah, and Jorel yeah. had one. Jorel had yeah. a headband himself. He had like a green outfit with like a yellow sun logo oh, yeah, on yeah. his chest. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it, Like it's very different. I don't think we've seen a live action version of that ever. It's uh, on the New Fifty Two cover, Superman Zero or something. Yeah, like but that's always been in the comics. Yeah, I yeah. don't even think it's. Can't even think. It was not used in the Superman the Animated Series in the nineties either. I don't think so. But so, they they had their own little suits, but it wasn't green. I think it was blue. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Or or red or so. But yeah. uh, Krypton was more yeah. colorful. But here it's mostly ice and crystals, probably because they're like, you know, Fortress of Solitude. At least with the ice stuff. Yeah. Because again, Fortress of Solitude wasn't really crystal like either. It was always in like the North Pole. It though? was always in the Arctic, except it was like hidden in a wall of the mountain. It wasn't like its own thing. You would only know it was Superman's because there was a giant keyhole and only Superman could lift the key in order to insert the key, insert (laughs) into the keyhole. They should go back to that. (laughs) It was referenced in Supergirl, actually. Oh, Uh, yeah. She takes, uh, I think she takes the Martian Manhunter up to 
the Fortress of Solitude. Okay. Uh, it's not a giant key, though, but it's like a key that only she is strong enough to lift or only Kryptonian yeah. is strong enough to lift yeah. uh, and put into the keyhole. But still, like, it's 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 a nice idea. When we get in Beppo, though, that's the question. <laughs> Superman 3. Super Monkey. <laughs> Super Monkey. <laughs> uh, let's see. But, yeah, it's, it's meant to reflect Krypton a little more. Yeah, uh, both right. Fortress of Solitude and stuff, and it makes sense because like Lex Luthor in Superman Two just fucking walks into the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's one. just showing up with uh, his bell bottoms on. Yeah, so or uh, yeah, it was sort of bell bottom to me. Yeah, but Jor El uh, again, green outfit, headband, and he had the black hair of Superman. Okay, uh, and that. So here's where things changed uh, with Jor El because Donner came up with the idea. Well, Superman's got the spit curl, which you can see on this toy here, uh, <laughs> if you're watching the YouTube version. Yes, and Donner wanted to carry that over. Okay. Uh, to Jor-El. So Brandon okay. kind of has that. Uh, okay. And they gave him the white wig because he's like, he's supposed to be Superman's dad, so yeah. make him look you know, a little, a little older. older and distinguished. Yeah, for Brand- sure. Brando originally did not want to do the spit curl, but I guess he warmed up to it after he read the script or at least began to appreciate more of what they were trying to do. Donner was probably like, hey, let's go have a talk with your kids again. <laughs> you know, let's, let's exactly. just see what they think. Exactly. You know, just what, what are they going to think about this? Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I bet as soon as Donner figured that part out, he was probably yeah. like, just pull that trigger we're, we're just, Your kid's going to be like on set, right? Yeah. <laughs> just just, uh, <laughs> just exactly. so I need to always like fill you with my ideas. <laughs> um, but it was also a big significant thing here is Tom Mankiewicz comes up with the idea of, hey, what's weird about the Superman lore is Superman shows up in this outfit with the S already on his chest and yeah. then people call him Superman. That's but, the thing, man. I cannot believe, I know what you're about to say. Yeah. I cannot believe he, this is, this late in the game. I thought that this was earlier. Nope. It comes from Tom Mankiewicz where he's just like, well, there has to be a reason why there's an S on his chest in the first place. Yeah. In order for them to then call him Superman. So what if that was the family crest? It's incredible. This is an amazing idea. Yeah. Much better than the addition of Man of Steel where he's got the codex of all Kryptonian in him. <laughs> I, no, I don't like that. We'll get to, the, we'll get to Man we'll of Steel Man eventually. Of Steel in a while. Yeah. But, uh, I, they're trying to make their own idea, and I like this one more. Right. Well, this is the precursor yeah. to the idea of it's not an S. This is precursor to the yeah. idea that that's a Kryptonian sign, and this is carried over into all the major adaptations afterwards. So right. we saw that in the Superboy show even fucking had this. Lois and Clark did this. Smallville yeah. had this. Man of Steel definitely carried that over. Like in the trailer. All stems from Mankiewicz being like, you know what? I got to explain this. Yeah. If you think about it, though, he could have just had Superman without the S in the beginning. Then he calls super he's called Superman, then put the S on it. But he wanted to give a different reason than I think yeah. adds a lot more to the mythology there. I, I mean, I like it. It does sound ridiculous at first, but we've said that, I've said this before in a previous episode. Uh, it's a squiggly line, ultimately. Yeah. And that's that could be found in any writing system, really. Mm-hmm. Like I said that last time, there's a symbol in Japanese that looks like a backwards E. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means yo, uh, you know, that's how you say it. But, uh, uh, yeah, so, like, I mean, yes, it does mean Superman. That's where it's, that's the original idea of it. Yeah. But them kind of, you know, changing this around, it, it, it makes it fun. Yeah. It's fun mythology, everybody. Oh, yeah. It's fun mythology. It is, yeah. And, yeah. and so is the idea also that comes from this movie that the Superman outfit comes, uh, well, he gets the costume from Krypton. Okay. And comes that comes yeah. from this movie. Because oh, yeah, it's usually his the, uh, mother sewing it or something? His mother sews it in both the 40 serial and the George Reeves show. Okay. I checked this out beforehand just to make sure uh-huh. like, that was not a thing. And lo and behold, that's not... Like, sure, they have the idea. The idea is already there that it, that 
his costumes indestructible because yeah. the blankets from Krypton. Yeah. That was already in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, that's cool. But here's where he actually, you know, from what we see in this movie, he goes into the Fortress of Solitude as a young Clark Kent, as Jeff East, the actor. Yeah. And he comes out as Christopher Reeve with this outfit. So you yeah. gotta assume that he got it from the Fortress. So Right. That, and, of course, that happens again in... Smallville. It happened again in Man of Steel. Again, like Man of Steel did take a lot from Superman the movie. I know a yeah, lot of people say yeah. like, "Oh, Snyder did his own thing." I'm like, he did, but he also, you know, he still did get influenced by the Donner. There's some, there's, you know, there's some shots, you know, I think maybe in BVS or something where mm-hmm. it's just like Superman just hugging his family, yeah. and I've seen like memes like, "This is Superman," and it's like, "This is Snyder," but this is Superman. This yeah. shot, this shot at least, yeah. is Superman as fuck. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he definitely got some things right. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so when Jor-El's being introduced, he's prosecuting the Phantom Zone villains, who we'll see again. <laughs> just the just the word. Too. I love the words Phantom Zone. The Phantom Zone. It's just so good. Like that <laughs> again, vintage sci-fi bullshit. It's yeah. just great. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the biggest the biggest one is General Zod, of course. Of course, yeah. Uh, the second most used villain in Superman movies or Superman lore. Gotta gotta get past him eventually. Yeah, gotta yeah. Get past him. Um, but just real quick, we're gonna go a lot more into them when we get into Superman two. But uh, the look of Zod completely gets changed due to this movie too. Oh so, yeah, he was different before, huh? Zod yeah. in the yeah, comics right. very much looked like Bison from Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> he did not have a beard, and he had like the the hat and the uniform. That's awesome. That, that's what that that's was General awesome. Zod during a decade. Let's go back to that. <laughs> but instead of the hat with that Bison has, give him the fucking tiara. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds incredible, man. Yeah. So, oh, shit. Terrence Stamp is the reason why we got the beard uh, for Zod. If there's any, there's actually a character named Quex. I think it's pronounced Quexel, like Pretzel. Uh, but there's another Phantom Zone criminal named Quexel who has like the beard and goatee stuff. Oh, and this that's, is from the comic. That's from yeah. the comic from before the movie. So uh, he, if he looks at like anybody, he's like that. I don't know if that's a deliberate reference, but I just thought that was interesting because if you look at a random, if you look at the Superman comics before this movie, yeah, uh, there are a few about the Phantom Zone villains, and it's it's usually they're in a group. It's not just one. It's not just General Zod. I think also because of evil Spock in Star Trek. Oh yeah, there's yeah, this the, precedent the, of evil characters <laughs> having a goatee for yeah, some reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but so. if, if you look into like one of the comics that has both Quexel and General Zod, and you're like, hey, point out General Zod, you'll probably point to Quexel first just because you recognize the beard. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Technically, in the comic, that's not who it is. Okay. The is it a full beard, guy. though, not a goatee? It's, it looks a little bit more like a goatee. Is it looking more like a... Um Errol Flynn arrow. It's a little thing? bit, yeah. It's a green, little bit green arrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more like that. Okay. So, uh, let's see. They do reference the fact that Zod wanted to take over, uh, sort of the Kryptonian Council, which oh, actually yeah. is true to the comic. So General Zod first appeared in Adventure Comics 283, called the Phantom Superboy, where Superboy, basically young Superman, yeah, uh, found out that uh, there was this thing called the Phantom Zone, and this guy named General Zod tried to take over. And he got caught and sent into the Phantom Zone. Right. And that was the that was the main idea of it. So prison dimension. They yeah they were true to that. You it was not this giant mirror thing though. That's another oh, thing that comes from Donner specifically. That's cool though. Uh, I like that they did. I like that addition. Yeah. No, yeah. it was like a projector thing that you would oh. basically capture. You would turn on. They would get sucked into it, and then oh, it was like a Ghostbusters. thing. Yeah, almost like uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's how, that's how they did it. That's interesting. Uh, the other Phantom Zone villains are not in the comics at that time. 
So okay. Non, the henchman, who's sort of a quote-unquote mindless brute, I think is what Jorel calls him. And Feora. And, uh, well, Ursa. Ursa's Ursa is probably based off of Feora. Oh, honestly. okay. So Non was not really based off of anybody. However, he did show up in the comics later on when Jeff Johns did a comic book with Richard Donner called Last Son, where they incorporated oh, yeah. the Phantom Zone villains. Okay, that's cool. So Donner we, did the comic. He did a comic with Jeff Johns, yeah. So oh, God we damn. can cover that in a very much deeper dive Patreon in the future. There's a... I looked up... Because uh, I've been on Superman kick lately, but yep. um, I looked up Cavill's top Superman runs. He, it's mm. pretty famous that he's he loves Red Sun. Yeah. That's Elseworlds, you know? I mean, it's a good one, but right. he also liked uh, The Search for Kryptonite. And I want to read that one. I it's read it's that a Batman-Superman story, too. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I think I get it. I think it's I think I've heard that around one, yeah. New 52 era or something. I can't remember. Well, I'll it was, check that it one was like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Sounds cool, though. Yeah. Uh, as I said, Ursa does seem to be based off of Feyre because Feyre is like the only female Phantom Zone villain. Yeah. Uh, and there's some similar beats. I don't. There, I couldn't find an explanation in terms of why she wasn't just named Feyre. Maybe they just didn't know of her existence. It just rewrites know. people not giving a shit, probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like ah, we yeah. don't even say her name, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, there was also going to be a fourth Phantom Zone criminal oh, in shit. the Benton Newman draft, which mean which would have meant that we would have gotten an additional villain in Superman two, uh, or I think they did actually another they did like II. Zod uh, crony. Yeah, his name apparently he's from the House of L. His name was Jack L, as in Jackal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from another planet. He's what's, what's your name? Jackal. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> The twisted mocking grin of Jack L is what's described in the script. Uh, Superman's <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to toss you into Gotham. You just sound like that other guy. <laughs> Why so serious, Superman? <laughs> <laughs> Batman's like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I need a kryptonite to, to deal with this. So, yes. Uh, this opening of Jor-El sending fan- the Phantom Zone criminals into that zone is from Mankiewicz in the original Benton Newman script. Okay. Uh, you just saw them in the Phantom Zone, but you weren't really introduced to them in the same way. Okay. So this is all Mankiewicz, especially the whole, like, this is no fantasy line. Okay. Uh, but all the all the stuff where Zod is like, you will bow down before me. Bow uh, before Zod? Is that yeah, a, that's kneel a stamp? before Zod. That's a stamp uh, creation? That is a Tom Mankiewicz creation. Oh, shit. I know. So that's really famous, man. Yeah. I know because I asked him myself, so I oh, did. Oh, that's right. I you did. told me this. <laughs> yes. So I, I described this in a previous uh, deep dive episode, the one where we were talking about the, the Tom Mankiewicz Batman script. Yeah. But Tom Mankiewicz showed up at uh, my school once to talk about the James Bond movies because he wrote yeah. a few of the James Bond movies. Yeah. And afterwards, you can go up and talk to them, especially because like the people they brought were like very much old, like older people who weren't currently working. So like if they brought in Daniel Craig, there's no fucking way they would let you like go up and talk yeah. to him. But like Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz. Yeah. So like yeah, I, I asked him to sign. I think it was just the, the the program stuff, and I had to. I yeah. brought up to him, like I have to ask you a question: Who came up with the line "Neil before Zod"? And he's yeah. like, "Me." <laughs> <laughs> wow, straight from the source. Straight from the source. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so that's, that's cool. That was a great moment uh, as well in my uh, film school days in terms of meeting meeting people because it's it's not somebody who a lot of people would crowd around, right? Uh, but to me, it, it meant something because I had read 
you know, the Batman script that he you did. You were lucky going to film school in California, man. I went to yeah. film school in Georgia. Uh-huh. We actually, for some reason, we did have people show up. I never met them, but, I mean, Ebert showed up. Oh, nice. Um, Alec Baldwin showed up. <laughs> uh, I hold the door open for him, actually. Coffee's for closers only. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, God, a few other people. John Waters. Anyway, oh, yeah, nice. it was it was interesting. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I do notice, and this all gets me every time, Terrence Stamp. Uh, slips. He goes from very much very posh, like you know, the the vote is unanimous, Jorel, to very like Northern Cockney accent. Oh yeah. When he starts getting louder and louder, where he's true uh, self. And then one day, your ass, which always sounded like he said your ass. Yeah, to right, me. right. <laughs> your ass, your ass. And I'm like, I don't know if Donner just kept it because he liked the idea of Zod getting more unhinged and his true yeah. colors coming out, yeah. or if that was just the only take they could do that day. <laughs> like it's Dude, probably it's, maybe it some people either, don't honestly. notice accents too well especially if American noticing difference in British accents right maybe that's it some mm-hmm. people are pretty bad at that <laughs> yes so they're like yeah he still sounds British yeah, uh, yeah so yeah. it worked uh, so yeah also, also obviously the first time that Zod was seen as a British dude because that carried over right. to a lot of other right. adaptations obviously not Man of Steel but yeah uh, we very much hear you know if you were to do a Zod adaptation most people would just have him with the beard with the British accent saying kneel before Zod his second most famous line now is I will find him oh yeah <laughs> thanks, I will find thanks him thanks to Michael Shannon yes Michael, that's Michael Shannon's claim to fame now which I mean again he's in Man of Steel yeah but he was pretty fucking good in that role I thought oh yeah Michael yeah. Shannon is a fucking solid fucking actor no no he's, yeah. he's great I wish there was more of him uh, Phantoms yeah. the, the way the Phantom Zone comes in to suck in uh, the three trio villains was actually inspired by a serial commercial according to Donner <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know what specific serial commercial but I guess he thought it was a cool effect and so he was like let's do it like this okay there was some it was an effect okay uh, yeah pretty much okay uh, so then afterwards Jor-El goes to the council to convince them Krypton is doomed we've seen this many times it's yeah. very relevant to 2020. I feel like Dr. Fauci is the new Durrell or something. Yeah, like there used to be, people used to be like, why do they listen to their scientists? And now <laughs> yeah. everybody gets it. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, especially when it comes to like climate, saving the planet kind of stuff. Like, dude, they, I don't know what, they, they fight a crystal ball. They had their own wizard. Yeah. And then the wizard was with Siegel and Schuster. Yeah. You know, telling them about the future. <laughs> like when they made, or what Bill Finger, Finger made that part up. Like, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know the whole uh, crypt- because, Kryptonian scientist aspect of it, and I don't know if I've said this online, but usually, and this is this is for me personally, I don't actually give that much of a shit about Krypton in a lot of these adaptations. We talked about this off air. Yeah, um, I'm a fan of it myself. Yeah, we're gonna disagree on this aspect, yeah. I think, but it's just something kind of like fun sci-fi about it that I like. It's on world building. I am there for Superman, of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, um. I don't know. I like it. It's part. It's just part of the mix. I, I, it's I part it. of the I mix. I get it. And to me, it's relevant when it's like if you bring Supergirl in or Zod yeah. in, like yeah. that makes sense. But I think for me personally, I'm just like your main purpose, Krypton, is for you to blow up. <laughs> like story wise, well, it's an impetus purpose. for them to send off their son. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then I'm just like, do I even need to see that so much? Because like, really, like Clark's gonna rediscover that. Basically, like sometimes I'm tired of having to watch about twenty to thirty minutes. Of the same shit of Jor-El trying to tell these people that Krypton is doomed. They say no. It's like, like Batman's parents getting shot. I know, I know. But at it's least Batman's like, getting, parents getting shot is one scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, I see. I see what you're saying. With different variations of the killers. Here it's like always like at most like a different reason why Krypton explodes. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. They still explode. 
Not I really get it. Much I can understand your point of view, but I yeah. don't know. I thought I thought that was we're going to get back to the real story in a right, minute. Right. But I liked that uh, Snyder said that one of his um, influences for his Krypton was Heavy Metal Magazine, and if, if you like, Heavy you Metal like Magazine is not just about <laughs> the music. It's a, like a lot of like R-rated comics, mm-hmm. a lot of sci-fi comics, comics for adults, yeah. and. Um, there is a, like a lot of like world building in those comics, and I, I I can see where he's coming from in that. And I think that's one of the things that Snyder kind of shined in Man of Steel was was that part. The, the thing I didn't like though, of course, was the fucking um was the Codex shit. I don't need the Codex thing. Um, I f- honestly forgot about the Codex shit oh, until you I brought haven't. it up. <laughs> I haven't. Like him being having having him having all of the Kryptonian DNA in him. We don't need that. Were they trying about, to repopulate another planet with yeah. Superman? What was the end goal there? It's just stupid to me. I, I never really like it when they make a character more special. You know what I mean? Than that, they yeah, already special are. enough? Yeah, he's special enough. I'm so, like, supposedly the last of his fucking kind of, until Supergirl shows up. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, dude, it, there's just some things in that movie. And again, mm-hmm. I liked it. It affected me in my weird point in my life. Yeah. But there's obviously got a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll, we'll get we'll yeah, circle we'll back get to that later. That. But yeah. I was saying is that usually I don't give a shit about Krypton, but after you know rewatching yeah. these different versions, I'm kind of like more emotionally invested with this idea of like nobody listens to science. I'm like, okay, yeah. you know what? As a kid, I didn't give a shit, but now yeah. I'm like, this actually does feel very relevant. It's all part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's all part of it. Yeah. Um. So in the Benton Newman draft, it was originally going to be a more traditional setup with the council seated around a table as they were talking about mm. this. Uh, but I think maybe they thought that was too cliche because both the Superman serial from 1948 and the George Reeves pilot have the same exact setup of them around a table. Oh, wow. Jor-El stands up, tells them his findings. Everyone else laughs at him. Like, it's, like they blend together in my brain because they're done pretty much the same exact way. Yeah, they weren't that creative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> they didn't have a budget. That's Well, in, in the serial standpoint. That's really what it was. In the serial standpoint, they were just trying to follow what was in the goddamn comic. Batman's know, so. driving around a goddamn sedan. In his serials? It's convertible, yeah. <laughs> they were trying their best. Uh, also, we were supposed to see, like, Jor-El's calculations of calculating that Krypton is doomed. Oh, yeah. Which I don't think we saw in the movie. Or at least if it was there, it's supposed to be represented by, like, the crystals moving up and down that they're supposed to read. But Another thing, too, about the whole Krypton thing. A scientist saving right. the day. A scientist being a hero or mm-hmm. trying to be. Generally, they're... A lot of times, the scientists, especially in, like, uh, disaster movies because the plant's exploding. Yeah. They're kind of sideline characters. They're, they're warning people, but people don't listen. Well, I guess it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> but it, at yeah. least in those scenes, Jor-El's like the main guy. Yeah, he's yeah. The he's main, not, main he's guy. not a side character who you think is going crazy. Like in, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of a good example. But like, I feel like they're a little bit more ancillary in uh, other movies. Got it. So I think for me, that's there's just something cool about mm-hmm. uh, science being um, held in such high esteem you know, high regard in right. those scenes. You know what I mean? I think that, right. to me, that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff is cool. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There is a female scientist named Vonda who shows up who disproves Jorel's findings. Originally, that her name bitch. was Vondell in Vondell. Benton Newman's oh. draft, which makes me think, is that another member of the House of L? Or, because this is the same draft that had Jackal, Jack L. And you Von know the L. House of L has those cousins they don't like. I'm just wondering if Benton you know they're Newman, not all in agreement. I'm wondering if they pre-planned that they're from the same family, or if they're just like eh, everybody's last name is L. Oh, the Wan- how was how's Thanksgiving at the Wan House? That's what I want to know. You guys all agreeing on everything? <laughs> 
Your findings have disproven. <laughs> Dude, I, I don't go home for Christmas, bro. I can't well, go. Well, not these days. <laughs> <laughs> I go home for Christmas. I skip yeah, yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Christmas is enough. Uh, but yeah, Jor-El is forbidden from spreading his theories or attempting to leave the planet or else uh, he will be executed or arrested. So they okay. do have in the theatrical... It's not really in the theatrical cut, but it is in the director's cut in the three-hour version. Okay. A stormtrooper-looking dude who's being sent out to basically assassinate Jor-El. Uh, God, did I see that cut? I don't know. Uh, but I'm just bringing that up in case the people who are listening have only seen the theatrical version. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw the long one, I think. More. I don't all right. know. Yeah, all right. Uh, a a stormtrooper-looking kind of, guy? Kind of a stormtrooper-looking dude. He's got like a giant hood thing and two eyeslits. God, that's somewhat f- yeah, it's yeah, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a big role in it. Yeah. Uh, but then we go to the House of L where... They're going to send off Clark or Cal L at this point. Yeah. And Marlon Brando is clearly reading off cue cards. <laughs> so Krypton. This Krypton. is when he says Krypton, right? Krypton. I just paid $19 million to call it Krypton. They wrote it on the fucking kid's diaper, right? It was on the diaper. It was on the... Like, there's a time where he's, like, fiddling around with the crystal while he's looking down like this. And Laura's talking to them. And he's like, he will not be alone. He will never be... He's, like, clearly reading it off here. <laughs> Apparently, oh like, according God, to Robert man. Duvall on the set of The Godfather, yeah. they would, like, have this guy holding the cards of his dialogue so he could read it off. And then at one point it was blocked and Marlon Brando in character was like, <laughs> like looking Dude, I just, I guess he was just so done. I wonder what made him so done with it all. Well, he claims that he reads it. He, he doesn't want to read anything beforehand. He feels like it's more, his, his performance is more authentic on first read of the lines. <laughs> that is some fucking <laughs> God. You ever seen um, Futurama Calculon? Calculon no. does it in one take, <laughs> something like that. We used to make fun of that in film school. Yeah. Um, there is also a disparity in what Jorel says to Kal-El compared to Lara, because Jorel has this long monologue that Tom Mankiewicz and Benton Newman gave him, okay. and Lara doesn't say anything as, as the ship goes off. And okay. Susanna York, who played Lara, complained about it, say, "quote unquote." She doesn't say dick to, <laughs> to Kal-El. And she, apparently she was very pissed and she came to Tom Mankiewicz about it. And Tom Mankiewicz was like, unfortunately, uh, unless you're also being paid $3.7 million to just yeah. sit on your ass on the set, I can't give you a monologue like that. Wow. So she was like a technically an extra? Featured extra? She was pretty much an extra. I mean, a majority of the time, Laura feels like an extra, I guess. Because Jarrell's like, he's the scientist. You know, he already has that previous scene. And then her main yeah. job, or at least... I don't know. In the radio version as well as I think the serial version, definitely in the Reeve, uh, George Reeves series, she's the one who has the idea, no, we should put the baby in the rocket. Because okay, right. In, she has some agency. Yeah, Jorel in the radio series yeah. is like, you should go because okay. you know, you're the love of my life. I want you to survive. And she's right. like, no, no, no. If anybody should go, it's the child. Okay. And we'll stay here together. Okay. So, but that's not in here at all. <laughs> she, only, she has like barely any lines and this unfortunately sort of started what I see as this sort of continuation of that in modern superhero movies that you see yeah. sometimes notice yeah. how we brought this up in our Batman Begins deep dive where I was just like we know Thomas Wayne is like a doctor and entrepreneur and started yeah. winning enterprises and then what do we know about Martha? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. They gave her more <laughs> later on. At most they gave her the whole name thing in Batman v Superman. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. In the com- I mean in the comics they they gave her more stuff, but okay. we're talking about purely the movies. Okay. And then like Iron Man, clearly the stuff about his dad has been there since day 1 in the right. movies, but then we didn't even get to know his mom until Civil War like 8 years after the first right. Iron Man movie. Right. So right. 
Superman or uh, superheroes are, are daddy daddy's boys. Have daddy issues, yeah. 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 So, uh, but this sort of started that uh, disparity here. Okay. Um, in the Benton Newman draft, uh, it's very interesting because apparently Lara has been reading on the archives and she experiences a feeling that is foreign to Jor-El, which is called, labeled as love. So <laughs> this kind of promotes the idea of Krypton being a sterile, very sterile right. world, sterile right. environment uh, right. where love does not exist. Uh, but Lara is capable of it. And it's carried over into like the John Byrne Man of Steel comics as well as the Man of Steel movie, of course. Dude, I watched this little thing on um, a woman that escaped North Korea mm. and she was saying that they don't talk about it there at all. And one of the movies that was snuck in was Titanic. <laughs> and she just said something like she'd never felt that kind of feeling before. She didn't know, uh-huh. she didn't know this was like a an emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's actually not even that far-fetched, really. Yeah. I mean, it's cheap, probably cheesy in this script, but that shit apparently exists. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could see it. I feel like sometimes it's probably more believable on Alien World. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, yeah, than in yeah. another country. But yeah, uh, that's the reality of the situation, Yeah, it sounds like. Uh, okay, so they're trying to. The world building here is that they're they're very sterile, scientific. So, but they don't listen to some of their scientists. Yeah, I mean, I it don't still re- makes sense though. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so the council recognizes there's the surge of energy coming from Jor-El's place, and they send the stormtrooper-looking guy over. Okay. Uh, in the original draft, though, by Ben Newman, and this is, ties over to the Mankiewicz, there's three stormtrooper guys, and we follow them <laughs> okay. into a police car as they go on the way to the house of El. But then, like, because of all the rubble and stuff, it gets like yeah. crushed. So this, this is, was not in the movie, right? This is not not the police car thing. At most, in the three-hour version, you see like the reflection on the guy's helmet as he's like on the way and then he gets killed oh, by the, okay. the debris and stuff. I wonder if that was shot and not in either version. That'd uh, be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those where I'm like, it's a cool idea, but because yeah. this is like Krypton's last moments is not really that necessary because right. they're all right. going to die anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we so, don't we don't really need that. Um, originally, in the movie, we see he just launches it, they watch, and it like crashes through the ceiling, and you hear the John Williams Superman theme. Right. In the original version, however, it was going to be more dramatic, where like there's rubble falling on them, and Jorah has to like run through the rubble just to hit the button in order for it to go up. So Marlon Brando's not doing that. <laughs> He's like, I, got, I don't want to run. I don't, I don't like running. running. I need pants to run. <laughs> uh, but then Krypton explodes, and that's where the credits were meant to be. Okay, yeah, so it makes sense to we me. We are off Krypton, and that is the first half of our episode today. Damn, <laughs> Come all right. Come back break, and we are going to go into all the Smallville scenes. So. Yes, Bruce? Elmer Fudd, is it? Yes, that's my name. You have good style. There's just one thing I object to. The gun. Well, Bruce, you need the gun... To kill the wabbit. The rabbit? Yeah, the wabbit. Is that a mob boss? I've been hunting him for 87 years. A- 87? Jesus, man, how old are you? Don't worry Don't worry about that. Looney Tunes last a long time, Bruce. Do you have the secret to the Lazarus Pit or something? Do you know Ra's al Ghul? Lazarus Pit? I don't know anything about no Wazowis pit. All I want to do is kill the wabbit. Okay, tell me more about this rabbit. Well, all I know is I want to kill the wabbit. Even when it's duck season, I still want to kill the wabbit. He's always getting away, that wascoey wabbit. 
wait a minute, wait, wait, we're not talking about a mob boss nicknamed the rabbit here. We're talking about an actual rabbit? An actual rabbit, Blues. Okay, so I get it. You're a hunter, then. I'm a hunter, Bruce. Okay, I guess I was just making sure that you weren't actually killing humans. I seem to draw the line at killing only when it comes to humans. Oh. Aliens and animals seem to be okay. Oh, I kill humans, too, but right now I'm a, I'm going after the wabbit. <laughs> wait, wait, so you've killed humans before? Ah, don't worry about it. A lot of things happen in the 30s. I'm Batman. I'm supposed to worry about people killing humans. Who have you killed? I can't remember. Oh, that's right. You're a senior citizen. Forget me, Bruce. Why, why do you why do you hate the guns so much? Because years ago in the shadows, a man stepped out and gunned down my parents. I swore vengeance on evil for years, and that is why I wear the mantle of the bat. Hey, how do you know I'm Bruce Wayne? Gotcha. Alright everybody, if you like that little preview to the sketch right there, we have that plus news, plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh, review type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically consider it Superhouse DLC. Oh. Hello, all you putrid little people in podcast land. My name is Oswald Cobblepot, but you can call me Penguin. And right about now, you're listening to superhero stuff you should know. Gentlemen, start your screaming. <laughs> and we're back, so we're going to talk about all the Smallville scenes of Superman the movie, or Superman 78, uh, as we saw. Uh, and I thought it'd be fun to start off with what was in the Benton and Newman draft that did not make it into thing, which is this little part of prose. As the module gets closer, it seems as if it will surely land in the heart of the Soviet Union, raising the question in the audience's collective mind for the first time, what would have happened if Superman had been Russian? But just at the last minute, the old Earth takes another spin and the rocket heads for the dead center of the good old U.S. of A. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1976 or 77 or so, we get foreshadowing of Superman Red Sun. Such an interesting idea. Yeah. You ever read Red Sun, by the way? I did, yeah. Yeah, that's a good it's one. Solid. Yeah, yeah it's solid. No. Yeah, it's one of the better Elseworlds. I haven't seen the animated movie. I haven't uh, Of it. We should, we'll do a deep dive on, yeah. on that and watch it. But yeah. uh, I thought it was fascinating that we have this weird... Just like, what if it's in the Soviet Union? And then, nah, never mind. It's in the United States. This like, visual gag also expects the audience to no, know geography. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. That's probably why it was cut, where they're just like, they're, nobody's going to get it. Dude, so, yeah, right? I <laughs> Like, I I think you learn more about geography when you travel and shit. But I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I've gotten terrible at math in my old age. I'm not great at every subject. But one of the things I'm, I'm I think, better than a lot of people on, with geography and I'm just so surprised how people just don't even fucking know where damn near their own state is a lot of the time. Like, yeah. some people are really, really bad at it. Have you seen the Kimmel? Those, like, Jimmy Kimmel things? I've seen thing? those, yeah. Yeah, it's just depressing right. to me. All right, question for you and the audience. Where is Smallville located? Kansas. This was the first time that Smallville was located in Kansas, is in the Superman movie from 1978. <laughs> God damn it, I'm <laughs> such a noob. You set me up and I fell for it. 
No, no, no. Well, yeah, the answer is yes, it is in Kansas. However, yeah. this is the first time that they said so. It was like a Gotham kind of thing. It wasn't really ever said. It wasn't really ever said until now. Apparently in 1977, there was a fanzine called Amazing World of DC Comics, number 14, that said that Smallville was in Maryland. Wow. So this is a year before the movie is released. They're saying it's, this fanzine is saying it's a completely different state. Okay. But this movie comes out and suddenly it's part of popular culture that Smallville is in Kansas, even though... There's nothing in any of the Superboy comics yeah. and stuff that showed Smallville that said it was in Kansas. I can this. see this being purposefully ambiguous. Smallville, the name. Yeah. In, it's supposed to be kind of like an any town USA kind of vibe. Yeah, I much. think that's what the original idea was. Yeah. But them going more specific because it's a movie. I, I mean, I, I get it. It's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Kansas loved it. Yeah. I'm sure Kansas yeah. loves it to this day. Also, Henry Cavill, now because he's British, he just arbitrarily cho- chooses to root for Kansas teams. Oh. Like when the Kansas City Chiefs won yeah. or something, like he was he was on his you know on his Instagram and shit. Like, That's kind of cool. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like he he's going for it. He's still That's in character. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a part of his life that affected him. You know, I'm also sure. fits when tornadoes show up. You know, in, in this world, <laughs> uh, which apparently is yeah yeah in, right 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 right. It's in the 1948 Superman serial. Oh, it is. Clark saves his dad from a tornado, which is fucking more than Henry Cavill saves did. him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's another. Oh man. We'll I go into that. I can't. I can't let that one go, no, man. That's no. a bad one. Um, this is also the first adaptation with the names of Jonathan and Martha Kent. He lets his dad die because his dad was okay with all those kids dying. <laughs> 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 Should I let him let him die? Maybe. Maybe. Oh God. Let's move on. Let's I can't. It's on. still the taste is ah ah. All right. So previous versions in the serial, the 1948 yeah. serial, and the George Reeves show, it was Sarah and Eben Kent. Yeah, Eben, f- apparently. Maybe Eben. Maybe Eben. It was pronounced Eben in the version I saw. The audio book I'm listening to Eben. said Eben, but it could be Eben. How's it spelled, actually? E-B-E-N. Okay, Basically, my name with an E in front of it. I wonder if it's, like, religious or something. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe. In the Torah or something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but this is the first time they were called Jonathan and Martha Kent in an adaptation. Yeah. There's yeah. a long history, however, a li- so I'll go in a little bit of it where these sort of the evolution of the Kent names. Yeah. Uh, so apparently uh, this comes from a 1942 Superman novel called The Adventures of Superman by George Lothar. It comes up with the idea of Eben and Sarah Kent. Okay. <clears throat> so it comes from a novel and that sort of carries over into of course the serial and the television series. Okay. However in 1948 around the same time as the serial in Superman number 53 they came up with the idea that their names are John and Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and here, this they also say that Clark is Mary Kent's maiden name. Okay, is where they got the Clark from. Okay, uh, I got a friend that did that exact thing. Yeah, named his son after his wife's maiden name. It makes sense in this yeah. case. Yeah, uh, let's yeah. Let's see. Jonathan is first named in uh, in terms of the full name Jonathan, not just John, in 1950 in Adventure Comics number 149, and then uh, Ma Kent is named Marth M A R T H E. Marth in Superboy number 12 rolls off the tongue and then it becomes Martha <laughs> in subsequent appearances and that's becomes the birth of Martha oh, God. in the 1950s because I don't think it wasn't until 1948 either that uh, Bruce Wayne's mom was identified as Martha Wayne okay so yeah. late by the time we get to 1951 basically is when they're both Martha. both moms are named Martha but it was Martha ever with Eben uh no 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 Eben was was Deleted from here, except for the time that they did it in the George Reeves show. Oh, okay. it's confusing because okay. the comics at that point 
had did moved on. make it Jonathan and Martha Kent, but okay. uh, that was such a new change you okay. know, that they didn't incorporate. The older guys watching George Reese Superman were like, that's not not my Superman. <laughs> like, it's a whole fucking like, montage you could yeah. make of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so apparently when they did the different multiverses, uh, Earth 1 had Jonathan and Martha Kent, but then they okay. decided to stick to John and Mary Kent for Earth 2. Okay. Uh, yeah. Eben yeah. and Sarah were completely erased from existence. It looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah Eben's gone. Eben's gone completely. The last time we got an Eben Kent was the George Reeves show. Okay. Uh, which we'll go into at some other time. But uh, anyway, yeah. as I talked about in part one, the uh, Ilya Salkine's mother-in-law, Phyllis Thaxter, is playing Martha Kent in this movie. Okay. Uh, which is cool. And then Glenn Ford. Yes, I remember. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. <clears throat> Glenn Ford, classic actor from the Westerns and everything, plays Jonathan Kent. Great casting, I think. Yeah, he was good. He was, he was yeah, solid. He's he was sort good. Of, he's the standard for Jonathan Kent that yeah. led into John Schneider in the Smallville series, who yeah. I think is also probably the big, next big favorite right. in this role. Right. And then, of course, Kevin Costner in the Snyder movies. Costner, you know, he just had <clears throat> bad lines, but he was a good pick. No, he was a good pick. You know, he was solid as hell. It's just, it was, you know, actors are often victims of their own movie. He's actually in a modern Western movie with Diane Lane as his wife. Oh, it's yeah. Like I've heard of, yes. It feels like an alternate universe version yeah. of the Kents. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Stryker's in it. And then also Ben Affleck's with her in Hollywoodland. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's all wild. That's why he decided to save her in Batman v Superman. <laughs> in, in, so in these scenes, there is one, like, I don't know if you want to call it philosophical or it shows at least some of the internal struggles a young Clark has when he says, is a bird showing off when it flies? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I yeah. think there's... I feel like it shows that the writer cared, yeah. I think. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're, They could have just gone straight to the action, but they wanted to have this moment. This is a character moment, I think. You can thank Mankiewicz for that one. Mankiewicz did that Mankiewicz one. Mankiewicz definitely yeah. did that one. Yeah. yeah, that that's that was a that was a good addition, I mm-hmm. think. That really like, what do you call it? It fleshes out this mythology even more. Right. Yeah. Because I think all the previous ones, the Kents go from like, oh, you shouldn't show off your powers, to being like, you should use your powers for the benefit of mankind. Maybe it's maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Maybe we should. You know, rescue those kids in the bus next time. You don't have to worry about being caught, really. I mean, (laughs) come on. You got super speed. Uh, Originally, it was going to be very similar to the, in both the serial and the George Reeves show. Uh, They see the ship crash land, and even Kent has to rescue the child out of the ship. Uh Uh-huh. This is different from the movie where they show up and just naked Clark is already like this uh, with his arms up uh, for them to take. But they actually did write it traditionally in the oh, original yeah. script where they go up to it and the ship almost like ejects uh, a baby the baby to yeah. them almost okay. gives it to them along with the uh, the blankets the red blue and yellow blankets okay which you actually see in the background in the movie but they're okay. not really highlighted okay nearly as much have uh, you ever heard like there's like in other in other iterations, uh, they, they they showed like the Kents have to kind of make up this whole backstory of how they got a baby out of right, nowhere. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, our cousin or our niece got pregnant illeg- illegitimately, and then yeah. you know, and she dropped them off, and you know, now we're here to get a social security number or whatever. Yeah. You know, like it's like a whole <laughs> there's like a whole thing yeah. there. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's also different explanation in this one about like the, the similar thing with the cousin. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, from my cousin or from my other side of the family. Do they say it in this one too? I don't think it's in the movie, 
but it's in the script. Oh yeah, it's okay. In the, script, yeah. the internal yeah, yeah logic yeah. of it. Uh, there is a funny blooper where uh, Phyllis Laxter, as Martha says, "Oh, he hasn't got any family," and the kid actor's like, "Yeah, I do." And then they're just like, "All right, cut." You can't say anything, kid. Like you don't have any lines. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? Marlon Blanda's like, he's not wearing any pants either. <laughs> Uh, originally, Clark is named after Martha's uncle, who was a church sexton, and Jonathan said he never cared, quote unquote, two hoots for that fella. Oh, wow. uh, so he's not crazy about the idea of it being named the, the boy being named after Clark. He thinks that the boy should be named Jonathan Jr. Oh yeah, the, uh, uh, I'm, 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 Benton yeah. That's fine. script. Uh, but this got switched to the more comic accurate version of Martha's maiden name uh, being Clark. Okay, which is in the movie because he says Martha Clark Kent, are you listening to me? And that's oh, how they yeah. that's how they reveal it. That's cool. Uh, so that's kind of how that ended up happening. Martha's maiden name being revealed to be Clark, uh, or her middle name really being revealed to be Clark, came from, uh, I guess, an answer to a, a query or a question. Because at the okay. end of every DC comic, they ask, like, hey, DC editors, here's this question, and they would answer it. Okay. And so apparently the editor said her full name is Martha Hudson Clark Kent okay. in uh, Superman yeah. 148. Oh, okay. All right. So wow. that's where that comes from. Hudson. Yes. Uh, the next sequence where Clark grows up is completely different in the Minkowitz in the movie version versus what's in the Benton Newman draft. Okay. So in the Benton Newman draft, we go to, uh, we meet a character named Sheriff Grizzard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he arrives at the Kent farm to let them know about, you know, he found their escaped cow. Their cow escaped from the farm and he brought okay. them, he let them know where the cow's from. And we meet Clark Kent doing chores but he's not Jeff East, the East, the actor who played a teenage Clark. He's a fifth grader. <laughs> he's a kid. <laughs> okay. He's doing chores, and he's he's also got the glasses on. Okay. Uh, and as he's doing this, the sheriff comes in to say hi, and he writes down some notes about the cow, and he accidentally, he puts his pen down, and the pen falls over. Okay. And he loses his pen, and when he leaves, Clark notices with his X-ray vision that uh, where the pen is, he gets the pen, but the sheriff's already taken off in the car. Oh, shit. So Clark then does the super speed run oh, to shit. get to uh, the sheriff's car in order to return that to him. And that's when he's seen by the girl on the train. Like, that's all oh, there yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Jonathan sees him take off, and he's like, that's my boy, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he says kind of? Yeah, he does. Wow. Yeah. Humor. This is the Benton Newman draft with, with more humor. <laughs> and then later on, his parents talk to him about, like, being careful with his secrets and, like, people should know okay. about all that. And then when Clark leaves the room, off screen is when Jonathan collapses and has the heart attack. Oh, yeah. It would have happened off screen in the Benton Newman draft. Right. Uh, so Mankiewicz completely replaces this with Clark Kent in high school. High school is probably better, I think. I think so because it's it's his struggle is more relatable. Like he made it more about Clark not being able to fit in. Yeah, and the I, emotional I, struggles. It, it just works better as I opposed think. to like I think Benton Newman were very traditional because what they wrote is like what's in the serial and the George Reeves show, where right. it's like, oh, here's you know young actor playing Clark Kent for like two scenes and yeah. them telling yeah. him like you got to keep it you know you got to keep it on the down low yeah uh, and all that and Mankiewicz is like what if I just scrap all that and do my own thing with that right um, what's the emotional connection right going to make us because this is really the first time we're meeting Clark as a character. Right. And we're not going to meet Christopher Reeve uh, until like an hour into this movie. Right. We're certainly not going to be able to cover him in this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming, I swear. <laughs> He's <going>. coming. <laughs> um, Lana Lang is there. 
Uh, she's the cheerleader who uh, he has a crush on, and yeah. that's true to the comics. She was a comic character. However, I think that was added later because in the Mankiewicz script, her name is Susie. Oh, uh, so well, I, I don't know why they wouldn't do that, though. I think they just didn't know, and then it sounded like they made, did just like the Martha Clark Kent thing, yeah. they did more research, and they're oh, like, yeah. oh, this seems like it's right. It's better to do this instead. Lana Lang. Lana Lang. Um, now we get to meet Jeff East, who's our first introduction to Clark Kent. Yeah. And here's a little interesting known fact. Uh, Jeff East had dyed his hair just like Christopher Reeve. Okay. Uh, and he has prosthetic makeup on. Oh, shit. He has a false nose to look a little bit more like Christopher wow. Reeve. Wow. And all of his lines uh, are dubbed by Christopher Reeve. Really? Christopher, you don't actually hear Jeff East's voice in the entire movie. It's Christopher Reeve's voice coming out of Jeff East God, in I all usually, the small little scenes. I usually pick up on that kind of thing. I think they also might have did something. They might have done something to the voice too on top of that so it's not as noticeable. Make an octave higher or something? Maybe or maybe Reeve himself did that because yeah. like I, every single time I see it I know that that's Christopher Reeve's voice. Yeah. Logically but that's because I've read about it not because I recognize it. Christopher Reeve could just ADR like a motherfucker. <laughs> I he, guess. You yeah. know he's in there watching yeah. the footage and just fucking copying exactly. That's, that's what he got from Juilliard. Juilliard um, baby. Jeff East apparently was not told, just like David Prowse was not told that he was getting dubbed by James Earl Jones in Star Wars. <laughs> he wasn't Jeff, told. I didn't know that. <laughs> Prowse did not know. Wow. He said, how come Darth Vader doesn't sound like me? <laughs> Surely I'm more evil than him. Have you seen the footage of David Prowse on set where he does the Darth Vader lines and he's got that thick British accent? I have seen yeah. that, but I didn't know I he... want them alive! <laughs> I didn't know that he didn't know that, though. He didn't know He didn't know that. He didn't wow. know he was going to be replaced with James Earl Jones. Holy shit, that's uh, hilarious, though. But, dude, you're fucking Darth Vader. You're yeah. Superman. You, yeah. Had a, you had a whole career, man. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff East did not know that Christopher Reeve was going to be dubbing him until basically pretty close to the release of the movie. Okay, that's uh, interesting. That did create some conflict. However, he talked to Christopher Reeve, and they sort of made up on that. And according to East, uh, Reeve was concerned that uh, Jeff E's voice was deeper than Christopher Reeve's voice, and that it would cause a disconnect. Oh, uh, yeah. And when I heard Jeff East's real voice, at least in the interview, I was like, okay, I can kind of see that because Christopher yeah. Reeve doesn't have like he doesn't have like Kevin Conroy octaves type of yeah deep voice and neither does Jeff East but I could kind of see what he was going for okay why that would be a reason okay uh, in that so uh, that's the reason why Jeff East was dubbed Uh, so yeah that is Christopher Reeve actually acting before we see him in the movie god damn man I had no idea Uh, let's see I love these scenes though (laughs) I love they're fantastic all the high school Superman scenes it's great Uh, let's see also a big change from canon at that time was that there was no instance of him being Superboy and there was uh-huh. no talk about the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, so this is something I've discovered recently myself, yeah. but just for the audience. <clears throat> one of the old school iteration is like Superboy is not an extra character. He's Superboy well, he is young Superman. When he's yeah, yeah when he's Superman, <laughs> then he becomes <laughs> Superman, which honestly makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's less characters, it's less muddled. Um there's something kind of silly about it. I don't know why it's sillier than anything because else in the whole like fucking story. Because he's like six years old and fighting oh, crime. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the, but they were they were for kids. They're kids' comics. Yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Course, so it's cool. It's fine. But, yeah. And, and that's, it, how they, that's how they covered how he first met Lex Luthor. Like, there's a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of stuff and mythology in there. It uh, wouldn't be good for this, though. No, it wouldn't make sense with the verisimilitude that yeah. they're doing. And it wasn't done in previous adaptations either. Like, mm-hmm. we've got to keep that in mind as well. Superboy wasn't around when they first created the the serial in 1948. Yeah. And then I think by the time we got to the George Reeves show, it's like, well, he's already a grown-ass man anyway. So, like, <laughs> we don't need to do this. Um, 
there some is, talk about like how much did he use his powers before he was Superman too. Like yeah, how, how yeah. much, you know? Yeah. So we'll have to see. Uh, like if they wanted Chinese food, would he go to China? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like I think when we cover the the serial and and the the TV show, they pretty much wanted to just show you. Like here's just him preliminarily just using it around the house, and then yeah. they're just like go out into the real world and use it, and he's just yeah. able to do it. And right. I think realistically, he would need to have some, he would have a learning curve. Uh huh. Right. So, right. Superboy does kind of make sense uh, from yeah. that instance. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. But that's true. That's yeah, true. This, they there they had no indication of Superboy or the Legion of Superheroes or any of that in this because again, I think they they wanted to keep it simple. It's Dude, the origin. We, uh, yeah, we, we don't, don't need a need whole it. fucking Justice League in the first one. No. You know what no. I mean? It would have been cool, but mm-hmm. yeah, we don't need it. Uh, Let's focus. We did get uh, a scene that was cut where Clark was... Because in the movie, he talks to Lana, and Lana invites him to listen to some records over at the party that they're doing. And then the football player says, like, Clark can't do that. He's busy cleaning up the, after us. And then because he, <laughs> he wrecked all the, all the shit that was there. Okay. Uh, but what was written in the script is that off off screen I mean they go off and then Clark uses super speed because nobody's seeing it to clean yeah. everything up uh-huh. um, as opposed cool. to the movie where he kicks the you know he kicks the field goal to, and then he he runs okay off. Uh, also in the script uh, he starts walking home after he cleans up okay. and cars keep passing by him and he gets pissed off about the fact that he missed out on that okay and that's why he takes off with the super speed oh shit okay so that's that comes out of frustration okay uh, so that he's doing the super speed by the train um, I've heard rumors about Jeff East like pulling his leg muscles or something off oh, of the stunt, uh, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I think they had him on some sort of wires and a crane thing, so that he because like he he's clearly not like running in real life <laughs> during those those okay. sequences. He's just kind of moving it like almost as if he's on a, an invisible bicycle. Where's uh, Jeff East now? Uh, what do you mean? Is is he acting? Did he stopped acting? I think he stopped acting. I don't. He think just he's, did the one I role. He's retired. I mean, he's in other. I think he's in other scenes. I don't think he's. I mean, other movies, but I don't think he has a lot of credits. Okay. On this. All right. Which is a shame because he did fine as you know. I yeah. Thought he did great. He's as young good. Clark. Yeah. I know. Majority, the we're hearing Christopher Reeves' voice through the line deliveries. Yeah. But still. But um, he didn't know that. He did. He did his best. He did. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, in the theatrical version, we see a little girl peeking out of the train. Uh, uh-huh. Watching him. However, in oh, the yeah. director's cut and in the three-hour three version, she would turn back to her parents to tell them about the fact that she saw a speeding man running as fast as the train. Right. And her mom would say, Lois Lane, you have a writer's gift for invention. <laughs> so <laughs> this was supposed to set up that that was young Lois. Yeah. yeah. Clark. Uh, so we have a few th- tidbits here on this scene, if you guys have seen it. Oh, shit. In the original scripts, the Lanes are the couple we saw in the Great Depression with the baby. Okay. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they were supposed to have two scenes, not just this one in the train, but okay. one where they had like young Lois in their in their arms. You don't think about Lois Lane's parents that much, do you? Not that much. Not in this at story. least not in this not yeah. in this instance. Later on, when they make her dad a general who kind of faces off against Superman every now and then, she had her own fucking run too for a while. Lois, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Uh, let's see. So that's where it would be Lois. But a bigger thing is that. The actors who play Lois's parents are Noel Neal and Kirk, and Kirk Allen, who are the first right. Superman and Lois Lane uh, on film, and Kirk Allen being the second Superman actor in this movie. Um, they were in the 1948 serial, and Noel Neal, if you watch the first episode of the serial, is introduced as Lois Lane on a train. Oh, shit. Which is kind of what this is, might be referencing. I don't know if that's intentional. Uh, could be. I don't know. It's it's, it's a stretch, but it's, yeah. it's a funny coincidence yeah, if yeah. it's not intentional. They're both in the, in the in the... 
pantheon of yeah. Superman pop culture, though. Yeah. Those two things. This would also start the tradition of a former Lois Lane actress playing Lois Lane's mom later on. Uh-huh. So this became okay. a thing after this movie. Yeah. So uh, Phyllis Coates, who played Lois in Superman vs. the Adam Man serial, oh, as shit. well as the first season of the George Reeves show, uh, played Terry Hatcher's mom in Lois and Clark. Well, goddamn. There's a lot of deep dives here. Wow. So... Just, just real quick, there's a, it's a little confusing because at first I was like getting Noel Neal and Phyllis Coates confused. So here's the here's the rundown of it. 1948 Superman serial, first adaptation of all this. Yeah. Noel Neal plays Lois Lane. Right. Then she's not available for the second one, which is Superman versus the Atom Man. So okay. they bring in Phyllis Coates. Okay. Then the George Reeves show happens and they're like, well, Phyllis Coates was great in that second serial. Let's bring her on as Lois Lane. Okay. For some reason, after the first season, Phyllis Coates is not available. Okay. So then they're like... Well, Noel Neal was pretty good in that first serial. Let's bring her in. <laughs> ah, bring her back. So Saul Kine's grandfather. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, Noel Neal and Phyllis Coates had played Superman, had played Lois Lane to both Kirk Allen and George Reeves in Shit. the forties okay. through fifties. Yeah. So they were kind of the mainstays of it, even though they played different versions. Okay. Uh, in a way, uh, but yeah, Phyllis Coates went on to be the mom to Terry Hatcher's uh, Lois and Lois and Clark. Uh, and then Terry Hatcher went on to play the mom to Lois in Smallville uh, for a oh, scene. Oh, shit, that's right. To Erica Durant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Erica Durant has not really carried on the tradition quite yet because there hasn't really been uh, a Lois Lane who's young enough to pass as Erica Durant's daughter. Yeah, Amy Adams uh, is about, I don't know how old she is, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, no, Amy Adams is older, Erica Durant, so unless this is like a flashback, it's unlikely. Right. Uh, however, Erica Durant does play Supergirl's mom on Supergirl. So oh, shit. That's, okay. the, that's the compromise, I guess. On Berlanti that. just killing it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so Clark returns home to the Kents, and that's where they have this conversation about, you know, is a bird showing off when it flies? And yeah. All, that. all yeah. things to make it Again, all this whole high school stuff is all Tom Mankiewicz. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is where Jonathan Kent dies of a heart attack. Right. Uh, Glenn Ford actually studied and researched heart attacks in order to give a oh. believable performance. There. Oh shit! Uh, because when he did the first take, Donner was like, "Why are you grabbing your arm?" And Glenn Ford said, "Because that's actually what happens." Oh shit! So uh, again, verisimilitude, everybody. Damn. Like, Glenn Ford cool. has like two scenes, and he still does the research to make sure he's being believable in this. So that's, that's the thing, man. Ford. It's so, especially then, probably still now. It's just so acting game is so fucking cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Anybody that makes it to a fucking, you know, an actual, you know, not to downplay lower lower roles, but like <laughs> less. What can I say? Like above commercial. I don't know how to say it, but like a big role. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of work goes into it. Like I mean, we, like Andrew Sellen talking about all the research oh, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. Bradley Stryker, you know, like all the people we've talked to personally, like. So much fucking work. Like, it doesn't surprise me at all that he had this research done for this fucking no, role. No, no. I mean, there's a number of A-list actors in this movie in very small roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of top-tier British actors as the Kryptonian Council in the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There was the, there's this one dude who um, who says a line, but so does Vonda. And apparently, according <laughs> to Tom Mankiewicz, he's had like three or four different lines that he cycled different line deliveries of that because he's like is that good because i've only got like two lines this entire thing uh-huh. so yeah but he wanted to make sure that he nailed it yeah uh, something that. about the royal shakespearean actor company i don't know like yeah. the, the the acting acting world in england is on a whole other level man uh-huh. seems like so it's that's that's how we got such a great stellar cast in this and this is also right. why like chris nolan 
cites Superman the movie as like one of the prime influences on Batman Begins. He said, I wanted to surround a lesser known actor because Christian Bale was not like a, a big star at the time. He wasn't really, Begins. yeah. He wasn't quite Christopher Reeve unknown, but he was still, he was yeah. not like a big A-lister. Uh, and Chris Nolan says, well, I saw what they did with Superman the movie. Right. And I want to make sure that we do the same with Batman Begins, which is why we got Liam Neeson, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine. Like, right, right, right. It all makes sense Yeah, uh, from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. In the comics, Clark actually lost both of his parents in Superman 53 in, in oh, okay. 1948. Both Mary and John Kent, as they were named at the time, died of natural causes. And it Natural was, causes? Yeah, okay. as it said. At the same time? At this, Around the same time. Uh, there was another version that said that it was like some sort of weird fever thing. It could that be that whole got. thing, like you married to somebody for a long time, and when one dies, the other one dies not Maybe. far after. You know, they, I could kind of see that. Yeah. But it's less dramatic. You know, yeah. like Super, Superman, uh, I mean... Um, Paul Kent mm-hmm. dying of a heart attack is like um, thematically important because mm-hmm. it's like he can save everybody in the fucking world right, almost, yeah. but he can't save a guy from a heart attack. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe he should have been telling him to eat better his whole life. <laughs> like, I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know what the diet was at the Kent farm, but you know what I mean? Red meat. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's something thematically important about that. That's why uh-huh. it's written so well, and that's why it's not good in Man of Steel. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> all the Snyder stands are like unsubscribe. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're gonna get to it eventually. I actually like a. I like Mansell a lot. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was John Kent on his deathbed who told Clark, like you know, to use your gifts as a power for good in that comic, uh, and he was the one who suggested the name Superman. Okay. Again, in that comic, so obviously that's yeah. not what happened in the movie. Uh, Superman never names himself. Not r- never. Only in the radio show. Okay, but that was because like they didn't even have the Kents in that. They were just yeah, trying to yeah, simplify yeah. and go straight to like he just gets out of the spaceship as a man, as a grown right, right, man, right. and can speak English already. Some of the things like what I learned recently was like up, up and away. Mm. They were just saying that because it was a fucking radio. Like they, they oh, yeah, you yeah. know, up, up and away. Like they don't, you don't need that for visual, <laughs> but for radio, radio show it, yeah. for kids especially, mm-hmm. they needed like that audio cue. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so Eben Kent survives in the 1948 serial. Yeah. Clark saves him from a tornado. Take note, Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> the subtitle of this episode is We, we Shadow Man Steel. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I but, complicated emotions about it. Yeah, we'll get, in, we'll get into that. We'll treat it fairly with positive and negative emotions like we, oh, we I'm, do with everything. Ben, I'm, I'm going beat by beat on that motherfucker. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll see. Uh, Eben Kent did, however, die of a heart attack in the pilot for the George Reeves show. Okay. So that's actually where that idea comes from. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it doesn't come from the comics. It doesn't come from the comics because, again, both characters died oh, yeah, at the same natural time causes. of yeah, natural yeah, causes. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't specify, like, Jonathan Kent died of a heart attack. Like, they just yeah. had both of them die. And it was the Adventures of Superman show that just had Eben Kent die. And then, like, Sarah Kent just sees George Reeves off at the train station. And, right. you know, that's the end of the Kents. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know necessarily. <laughs> Bye, Mom. Yeah, I don't know necessarily if the. You know, if Benton Newman just saw that in the George Reeves show and said, like, oh, let's just go with that. Or yeah. if it was just a coincidence. It probably was the, the George Reeves show, honestly. Because right, that right, was right. a popular thing in the 50s. Right. So, you know, we'll see on that. But uh, a lot of people do cite Superman the movie as the influence for the Jonathan Kent heart attack. But technically, it was the George Reeves show that did that first. Wow. Okay. So. Interesting. Uh, we do see, let's see, there's the Jonathan Kent funeral and Clark discovering the crystal in the spaceship after that in, the, in these scenes. Okay. And Clark was meant to use his x-ray vision for this part as well in terms of seeing 
you know, through the ship and, and seeing the crystal and, and right, and right, all right. That. Uh, there's strangely not a lot of X-ray vision use in the movie compared to the script. At most, you just see him look at her lungs, uh, Lois Lane's lungs, when she's like, "Let me guess, I shouldn't smoke because of cancer, right?" And he's like, "Zoom." I'm like, "Well, not no cancer yet." Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So uh, I think that's the main instance of it, though. That's interesting. Is there freeze breath in it? They often don't use freeze breath a whole lot either. I don't think there is. I know is. it's not used in Man of Steel. It don't. Yeah, I don't think there is in this one. Even though it's kind of a big thing in the comics yeah. and the animated yeah. shit. That's a good... I guess we got to rewatch it again. Yeah. Uh, there was originally going to have a sequence where Clark promises to clear out the field for Martha and he uses his super speed to do that. The small scene is not in the movie and I can see yeah. why they're just like, we don't have the time or the effects for this. This is no right. importance in the story whatsoever. Cut to her being happy. <laughs> it doesn't really do much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Martha packs some sandwiches for him to eat and gives <laughs> his father's old pocket watch as a goodbye gift. Again, okay. this is all stuff that was cut. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do see him add the sandwiches into the bag that has the crystals in them, as well as the blankets that are going to be used for the Superman suit. Okay. I guess AI Jorel has a sewing machine in the Fortress of Solitude to turn that into his suit, but they never it's really fine. explained that. It's fine. That's how they explain it. You can get so much away with future tech. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's looks it's pretty much magic. Don't even worry about it. We still only got the needle and trying to thread it through. <laughs> um Oh, the robots do it for me. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't even. I can't deal with it. They don't pay me enough for this. They don't pay me nineteen million dollars. I don't know. Um, oh man, I feel like Mom Brando. His personality is so different from that of what Jor El should be. Probably, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, let's see. In the Benton Newman draft, there's a part where Clark gets a ride from a truck driver who's like, "You're going to freeze to death." But Mankiewicz actually changes this where. Uh, the truck driver's like, you're going to freeze to get death. And Clark's like, no, I'll be okay. Truck yeah. driver's like, doesn't get it. <laughs> He's yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because of the fact that Clark can withstand all the cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was supposed to show that. Uh, and I guess that was the purpose of that, was to see it. Obviously, I always thought, like, I, I like, like uh, what's his name? Ralph Garman hates that whole, like, vagabond Superman thing and Man of Steel. Oh, really? It shows up in a Birthright, I think. Superman kind of traveling the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I, I I just think, like, if I did it before I became a reporter especially, that's exactly what I would do. Like, if you have no trouble right. getting hurt, you don't even need to fucking eat, really. I'd say you Birthright I mean? is a great version of, of how that would happen. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, yeah. it influences how he gets into journalism. It influences how he gets to the Daily Planet. Yeah, man. Like, it, it's it makes sense that he's kind of vagabond Superman for a, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Or vagabond Clark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I and that's, that. that's cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The Benton Newman draft also had this is more humor. Everybody, him t- him talking to the trucker is what triggered me. Thinking yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I know I'm, I do a lot of non sequiturs, but there was a connection. <laughs> uh, apparently, an Eskimo watches Clark and laughs at him uh, <laughs> during this. I believe you mean Inuit. It says Eskimo. In, okay, in the, it says Eskimo in the script. It says he goes inside, tries to tell his wife, but when she comes out, yeah. Clark is already gone. And then she looks at her husband all annoyed. Is there an igloo the in the background and shit? There, yeah, they were in an igloo <laughs> or something. So. And a polar bear? Was there a fucking polar bear? <laughs> there was a polar bear, actually, who shows up at one point. What's the deal with this polar bear shit, man? It's a polar bear conspiracy with fucking uh, Superman scripts. I mean, yeah, well, we got a lot to go into with the John Peters thing. Okay. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, apparently John Peters really wanted to make sure that polar bears regarding the Fortress of Solitude uh, or something funny, like that. Funny, funny. He wanted Brainiac to fight polar bears in uh, the Kevin Smith Superman Lives draft. Is that the same guy that likes spiders? And that's why he got spiders, spiders in yeah, uh, yeah. Wild Wild West. Yeah. Yep. And then he's essentially fighting a spider-like thing in Man of Steel. 
John Peters got his wish. Yeah. And there's a polar bear in one quick shot of Man oh, of yeah. Steel 2. Fucking John Peters. Dude, it's okay. it's funny. <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. Uh, Clark Aquaman was... throws, a, like judo throws a polar bear in, in one of the uh, comics. <laughs> really? Yeah, for some fucking reason. Poor bear. Yeah, it's like, woof. Oh. He's probably getting attacked, but still. Probably, yeah. Uh, Clark actually was supposed to use his heat vision to help carve the Fortress of Solitude in the script. Oh shit! Okay. Which I thought was cool. I don't really remember much heat vision, if at all. I think that, I think it's in there. I think I, it's I in there, but I don't remember when. I can't remember either. Yeah, but my memory's not. Must great. not have been that big of a scene. Not great with that stuff. Sometimes. Uh, let's see. Fortress of Solitude is in the Arctic in the comics. However, as I said, like this is where we. This is the birth of the more crystal-looking version of the Fortress of Solitude, as opposed to just like a keyhole in a mountain. <laughs> Which is what it was in the Silver Age. Which is hilarious. Yeah. I think that's funny too, but the yeah. crystal look is cool, and, and I wonder if that's connected at all to the, like that silver chrome S mm-hmm. uh, symbol they did for the movie. I don't know. Crystal, silver Maybe. chrome. I don't yeah. know. Maybe to me, there's some sort of weird connection there. Yeah. yeah. Just aesthetically. So let's see. Jeff East Clark Kent goes in and he puts in the crystal, and then we get to meet the AI Jorel, and yeah. uh, he gets to ask, Who am I? Right. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Christopher Reeve, when he decided he was going to be dubbing over yeah. Jeff East, he decided he wanted to do that scene in person with Marlon Brando. Especially oh, shit. He wanted to work with Brando. Yeah. So he only really had the line, who am I? So he kept yeah. rehearsing, who am I, who am I, who am I? And Donna knew this, and he told this to Brando. And so they say, action. Christopher Reeve goes up to Brando and says, who am I? And Brando looks at him, and he's like, you're going to say it like that? <laughs> Just to get under his skin. You don't even have your pants on. I don't care if you're Marlon Brando. You don't tell me to do fucking anything. I'm Superman. <laughs> Who's headlining this picture? <laughs> I want to see Reeves yeah. get all old school Hollywood on Brando. <laughs> Who's headlining this here picture? Did you see that interview where Reeve was very honest with his feelings about Brando. There's some interview of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's on Letterman or something where he's just like, I have respect for him, but I didn't enjoy talking to him. I, I think I have seen it was this, a very yeah. It's a very Superman-like way to, to phrase it, too, where he was, Dude, like, honest, but also, like, still you couldn't help but, like, like him and not see it as him trashing Reeves him was upset he didn't take it seriously, right? Like, yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. It's years after the fact, too, probably, right? I think so. I don't. I have this to is like look at the late '80s, maybe. Maybe I have to. I'd have to take a look. But at but where that came from. more than likely after the fact, yeah. way after the fact, mm-hmm. and uh, I just think that's so cool that he was super into the role uh, and sort of more or less embodied it for the rest of his fucking life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So even after the accident. Yeah. No. Totally. Um, let's see. Somebody brought this up, and it's interesting because. Very much in the comics and the previous adaptations, it was the Kens who came up with the idea that you have to go around the world and and do good for others with okay. your powers. Yeah, uh, and that's not actually said in any of the Smallville scenes with, with Jonathan or Martha. Jonathan doesn't even really suggest it. He just said you're here for a reason, but he doesn't actually suggest him using those powers for good. It's actually the AI Jor-El who uh, talks about doing that. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of an interesting twist. But again, it's fucking Marlon Brando, so like yeah. of course you're gonna make him more responsible for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's talks, cool. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much we can we can yeah. get why he does what he does. Yeah. Um, there is a monologue that I think was cut where Jorel talks about how the virtuous spirit has no need for thanks or appreciation. And uh, um, there's a blooper, and I can't find it online. I swear I've seen it because I, people did edits of it. But Marlon Brando goes into you know the virtuous spirit has no need for thanks or appreciation. You must remember this, Elon. I mean. 
Kal-El, Ralph, whatever your name is. Bagel. <laughs> and they're just like, cut. Cream cheese. <laughs> and then there's also another one where he does a poem. He has to, he has to because he's, there were those sequences where Jarrell is like teaching him about Earth oh, uh, and everything. Yeah. And he sings this, this poem about a tree. And then at one point he just forgets what the rest of it is. And he's like, the Camptown ladies sing this song. Dua. 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 <laughs> and then the baby hits the ejector seat. <laughs> I'm out of this planet. <laughs> so, yeah. Brando was making jokes on the set, basically. Oh, man. <laughs> Shit. Um, and then there was a bit of a moment in the Benton Newman draft where uh, Joel basically talks about how I don't understand this word, but your mother sends her love. And then oh, that's wow. the continuation of that idea from before. Wow. Uh, so the mom gets it. Yeah, the mom gets the idea of love. Uh-huh. Or okay. Uh, so he kind of needed that uh, that feeling, I guess. Or I, I, We'll have to see if there's more, uh, if that pays off even more, the idea of the mother's love in this script, or if that was just some idea that they had there's, in mind. I know they don't, they don't, they're going to explode in the first 20 minutes, but there <laughs> right. is something cool about uh, the sci-fi idea that they you have a society that's near perfect mm-hmm. that's reached like full automation nobody's really um nobody really has to work think of like a sci-fi utopia i imagine this is maybe in the uh, dna of the story with krypton right and um at that point do people don't become more evil they don't become more good they become more um cold they become more sterile mm. and uh do we, as we advance, this is part of the idea, I think, with Vulcans in uh, in uh, Star Trek, but mm-hmm. like as we advance in our society and with, with technology and stuff, do we lose baser human emotions along the way? Right. This is probably not in the fucking movie, but this is the kind <laughs> no, of shit. I think so, yeah. This is kind of the, this is kind of the shit that I kind of like to think about. This is the kind of shit that sci-fi, like Star Wars, Star Wars is sci-fi, is a fantasy set in space. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's a fan, but it's fantasy. There's literally knights and princesses in it, but like true sci-fi, I think has gets you gets you thinking a little bit more. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that those kind of concepts are, I don't know, it's kind of fun, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. I mean, that's, yeah, that's it's interesting to think that he needs. He's basically, and this is what's in John Burns' Man of Steel. Like he yeah. needed to be. He's both. He's both Kryptonian and human. Like he, yeah. He has yeah. to acknowledge both heritages yes. uh, on that in order yeah. for him to, to really feel like himself, to really feel like right. he's staying true to who he is. And he, all, he generally chooses Earth. Yeah. Over, I mean, Krypton's gone, right. but he chooses over dead, the, yeah. the heritage, though, heritage-wise. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. The Benton Newman draft has a long introduction to the adult Superman. Uh, oh, I'm going to have Andrew. This is totally here. different, huh? This is very different because in the movie, uh, he just flies. He just flies towards oh, the camera. Oh, yeah, towards okay. It. But here it has a, a long description here. And there he is, in the flesh, and in the traditional costume, blue outfit, red trunks, and cape, yellow monogram, the big S, a handsome strong man in his 30s who wears the weight of the, his mission lightly but takes everything with the proper seriousness. His intelligence shines through all the macho aspects of his personality, and at all times, even in the middle of action and violence, he retains a kind of twinkle in his eye that lets us know that he sees everything from a slightly off-center position. 
<laughs> he's just cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> that while acknowledging his bizarro, bizarre lifestyle, he can also see that it has its humorous side when, when looked at from the proper perspective. <laughs> he is warm, likable, and generous. But when he becomes Clark Kent, the disguise takes on almost schizoid dimensions. A great personality change, exaggerating all his, all this everyday normal qualities that are so inherently foreign to his true personality. And yet, as we will see, there is a part of him that yearns and longs to be Clark Kent, free form, free from the overwhelming responsibilities that come unmasked from being who he is, Superman. It's a long-ass introduction. This is why that script was 400 pages. Also, <laughs> it's a visual medium. Yeah, you're this, not going to get any conveyed any. Christopher Reeve, as good as an actor he is, is not going to convey this in one look. This is a this is one <laughs> Christopher Reeve taking two steps as Clark Kent towards the camera. Yeah, that's all that is visually. Yes, I know, I know. Yeah. in film school they're very much about like make sure what you write is something that can be visually represented on <laughs> on screen. Also, like most of the time, writer is not the DP, not the director of photography, the yeah. camera guy. Yeah, so. Uh, if you write, if the screenwriter writes something overly, uh, mm. like kind of telling what the camera, what the camera guy should right. do, that can be you're overstepping hazy, yeah. your job. Yeah. So that's how Hollywood works, y'all. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the only exception to that is if there's a story reason why somebody is in, yeah, yeah. that light. Yeah. You know, like you can't, yeah. you can't see, you're not supposed to see that character. Or yeah. That type of thing or like I always tell people like. It's not really important that he wears a red hat unless there's another scene where people describe him as a guy with a red hat and that pays off in the plot. Right. But otherwise, like, you don't say what he's wearing because it doesn't really matter and you leave that up to the costume designer. Unless you're, like, describing a character, right? Like, as far as, like, he's slovenly or uh, clean cut or something. I'd say that's different compared to... That's the realm of the writer. Yeah, but that's different from saying, like, he's wearing a plaid shirt with a leather jacket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Leave that up to the because you're overstepping the costume design department. Also, like it doesn't really matter in, the, in any way. You know, it doesn't really yeah. matter when reading the script on that. Again, unless it, yeah. it's a, there's a reason why the plaid shirt pays off later on, plot wise. In which case, sure, write that in because right. you need to know that. If you've never read a movie script out there, uh, take a look at it. There's a lot online, yeah. and uh, you'll be you'd pr- if it's your first time, you'd probably be surprised how bare bones <laughs> they <Yeah>. are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that is the introduction to Superman in the Benton Newman draft. Oh, shit. Uh, and then Clark Kent, or Superman, flies towards the screen in the movie, and then we cut to Metropolis. And that's where Mankiewicz really takes over. And that's where I think Mankiewicz really uh, sort of takes over. I mean, he's already he's already taken over the whole Smallville stuff. Okay. Uh, but they, they're definitely has to, they definitely have to make a lot of cuts <laughs> when yeah. it comes to the Superman stuff. So we will dive into that in part three. Uh, in there, but we have covered Krypton. And I miss Small. the Salkinds. I miss them. The slow, sleazy, lovable guys <laughs> with a very um. Everything you have is perfect. Convoluted, yeah. Very convoluted backstory themselves. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah, um, but yeah, that is that is the story. Of, I mean, that's the coverage of the first. I want to say hour of Superman the movie. Uh, I think. Most surprising uh, thing, probably. I know. I know that you just asked that, Ben. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but what was the most surprising thing? <laughs> I think it was the um, the guy being dubbed. Jeffy's being dubbed. Jeffy's yeah. being dubbed. Yeah. I think most surprising. For Again, sure. like I've, I've seen this movie a million times, and I I still don't think about it. I didn't, dude. I still don't notice. To me, you might have seen me on post on Facebook a while back, but like I notice 
ADR. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Like some people just can't stand bad CG. Mm-hmm. I will accept damn near wireframe CG. <laughs> I have no problem accepting shitty CG. Doesn't bother me for some reason. Mm-hmm. But if like I notice somebody's lips are a little bit off, it uh, just tr- it yeah. drives me crazy. And Terry Gilliam's movies do this. Really, he ADRs the fuck out of his uh, movies. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Gilliam did a uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, Johnny Depp. Yeah. I, dude, I just have a hard time watching it because it's just the like, ADR. imagine if you hate bad CG. Just imagine your feelings when you see bad CG. That's me when I, when I, if ADR is whenever they, after the fact, kind of dub themselves mm-hmm. just to explain to the audience. And it just drives me crazy. But I didn't notice it at all with this movie. I don't know it's why. How good they had it in 1978, and I don't know how they fucked it up in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in the 90s. Mad but. Max Fury Road also, <laughs> it drives me crazy Very because. ADR'd. Because what's his name uh, is old school, pretty old school. Uh, uh, George Miller. George Miller, yeah. I think a lot of that was Tom Hardy's ADR. very ADR. Very that? ADR, right? Yeah. yeah, it almost feels like none of his dialogue is from set. Dude, I can't. It just drives me nuts. And then fucking um, like spaghetti westerns, forget about oh, it, dude. Well, yeah. I, I mean, can't deal with that shit. You kind of have to make special exception for foreign shot movies. Yeah, <laughs> that are I being mean. dubbed over. They, they, <laughs> I don't think they had a sound guy on set for those movies at all. That would make sense. Honestly. It was. Yeah. It was. It was just already understood. They're gonna. They're gonna dub later. I know Morricone actually had, like, his music being played on the set <laughs> as they were shooting, which obviously means they couldn't do any of the audio pickups because you would have all that music. In the yeah, definitely. There would be no way. So yeah. uh, that'd be weird. But yeah, that is. Um, let's see. I. I would say to me when researching this, most surprising thing was probably the different stuff about Smallville that I didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't really know the Kansas. Yeah. was not established until the movie. That like, it, that was maybe number two for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just assumed that was all how it always was. It was a yeah. small town and stuff. I didn't know it was the movie that said no. It's in specifically Kansas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was definitely new to me. And then I had to really look into like what is up with this whole Eben Kent, Jonathan Kent, John Kent, Mary Kent. Like how many Kent names? They are went there? through a few name changes. Yeah, I learned this yeah. recently myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's wild just to think how much this movie was taken from it before and improved on it or influenced what came after. It's funny they didn't choose like the countryside in Ohio just to give like a little thing back to Siegel and Schuster. But uh, but they they went with Kansas. Funny enough, I think Smallville was shot in Canada in this movie. It's not shot in Kansas at all. It's shot in in, uh, Calgary, Canada. Saul Um, Kinds are like, we need that that tax break. Yeah, the tax breaks even then, man. Yeah. One but, guy who will who will remain unnamed on air. Yeah. But it was an older Hollywood type that I met through and before I even met you. Mm. He t- he said, "So you move to Los Angeles where they don't make movies here anymore?" Because <laughs> 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 productions everywhere else now. They they call them runaway productions, I guess, but they're uh, coming back yeah. a little bit, but Yeah. Like yeah, anyway. That's a whole other thing. Thank you again, yes. Ben, yes. for the super tutelage. <laughs> I usually say bat tutelage for the super tutelage. Super tutelage. Great, great stuff. Um, I love getting to know Superman more and more. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I was more into Batman Same. growing up, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's just more immediately appear, uh, appealing. But I don't know. something about getting older and like and it's appreciating Superman more. I, like I don't to think know what it these is. These are hopeful times as we get into 2021. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's a whole other yes. topic, I guess. But, but yeah, man, I don't know what it is, but it's it's cool. I used to think he was really lame and cheesy, mm-hmm. but now I I fucking honestly can't get enough. I've been reading uh, 
his rebirth run and and uh you know i had the whole i read all this like the reddit stuff as well mm-hmm. the subreddit recommendations yeah. um thank you reddit.com slash r slash superman um for those in the sidebar i never officially said thank you for that but that was great and uh if anybody if any of the mods from that subreddit are listening that'd be great yeah. and uh and that is superhero stuff you should know So custom shoutouts, we can't get to everybody's because we get a lot of comments, but I thought I would acknowledge a few, especially a lot of you guys who leave a lot of them. So let's start off uh, commenting on the, uh, is Batman 89 a ripoff of Strange Apparitions? Oh, yeah. uh, I was a fan of ours named Walter the Wobot. Uh, <laughs> he says, quote, or, I-, I own this book and love it. You know what? I really like the idea of Batman having a girlfriend. It's tricky. Batman can never be happy, but the idea of the conflict that arises from the concept is compelling to me. I would agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Batman never being happy is so sad, but I know what he's saying. Yeah. Like Batman just fucking going out and fucking dancing with his girlfriend at night, just not a thing he would do. It, not not necessarily know? in that way, but I think. Yeah. And again, like for those of us, uh, for those of you guys who are behind the paywall, heard our Patreon stuff. We did a deep dive into the Whiting Gyre by Kevin Smith. Yeah. And yeah. I, I ironically good. like that comic. I know a lot of people put that on the shit list, but yeah. to me, I actually like how he handles. Bruce Wayne in love and actually trying a solid relationship with somebody who is not just another costume villain. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think that's good. So I, I, we I don't know if you want to get negative, but like would you ever do like the worst Batman runs? Um, <laughs> that would be like do an episode on that. To be honest, I don't really know what I would like I've never read something where I'm like all oh, this is terrible. Okay. You know. Okay. So uh, that's that's the only thing keeping me back from that. It isn't yeah. because I'm not down to do it. It's more of just like I don't know which one I would what okay. I would pick. Is like okay. I think there's a, there's something cool about almost everything. Maybe the most overrated. Yeah. Maybe, right. But, okay. All right. Uh, we can go into that when we uh, go into that. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me think through all the comics I don't really like. Uh, let's see. Uh, Aaliyah Anderson talked about our uh, Batman Forever novelization episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, saying, along with Peter David's additions to the story, I love how the novel also includes the original script's ending that pays homage to uh, how the Tim Burton Batman films end. After Chase and Alfred leave in the car, the shot goes to the top of a skyscraper decorated with gargoyles overlooking the Gotham City skyline where Batman stands visual before he's joined by Robin. Yeah, epic. That's an epic yeah. shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, however, again, I do really like Batman and Robin running in front of the bat signal. I do. It's not like bad it. either. I actually it's do not like bad that. Either. I know some people are just like, oh, it's like the '66 thing of them running, but I'm like, the thing's already kind of a modern update on '66. I'm cool with that. I think what it is is just the missing the gargoyle. There's something about uh, production value them being on a gargoyle as well. The mm. visual plus the production value. Gotham. There's there's something. Um, the running is cool, but it yeah. is cheaper. Yeah. Let's just let's put it out there. Yeah. It's a cheaper shot. I do wonder why they changed it too. Because some of the other stuff, I'm like, okay, I get it. Maybe they thought the giant bat was too much in that deleted scene in Batman Forever, even yeah. though it's a fantastic scene. Uh, but oh, man. Uh, for this yeah. one, I'm like, I don't know why. You, especially because they are they did definitely shoot this. Yeah. The, the ending with the them on top of the gargoyle and stuff. So maybe. Yeah. I don't know. They just didn't have the budget to fill in because I think I saw it on a blue. They were in front of a blue screen. Oh uh, yeah, that. I believe yeah. I've so seen the shot as well. CG'd, they would have had to have CG'd the background. Maybe they just didn't. But still, look good. at least they shot it. It would have. I think it probably would have been a little better. I don't hate the running shot. It's Neither fine. Do I, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. But the gargoyle might have been a better choice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. The last one is uh, Jose Arrocha. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Jose has left a lot of comments for us, but I, uh, I yeah. wanted to acknowledge at least one of them. Uh, and the first one that sprung to mind was the first one, I think, that he did Jose, which is from the Batman script from 1982. It said, quote, so glad I found this. I found you guys because someone posted one of your episodes on a comic book shop and swap group on Facebook. That's Whoa, cool. really? That's cool. That's what he oh, said. Oh, yeah. is that what I did? Wait. Comic book shop and swap group on Facebook. Oh, this might have been something that I posted. But yeah, yeah that's maybe, cool. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam yeah. Ham's draft of the movie would have been so much better. I agree. <laughs> uh, in retrospect, 89 doesn't have a lot of characterization, and Ham's script does. Oh, what could have been? Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, I think the Sam Ham script is would have been a lot more character focused. Uh, so definitely check out that episode if you haven't already. In terms of why I feel that way, Bruce Wayne in the in Batman 89 remains mysterious to people on screen and in the audience. <laughs> in the audience, yeah. <laughs> As about, like, I, I just think it's like Sam Hamm's original pitch for the movie yeah. was uh, Batman is insane. Yeah, uh, which yeah. you can debate about, but like he's insane, or in terms of he's obsessed with his mission and everything, and then he falls in love with a girl. The and insane part, again, gets into the verisimilitude kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Where, yeah. like, yeah, a guy dresses as a bat yeah. going around, like, say, a Batman didn't exist in this world, mm -hmm. and dresses as a bat beating up people in the street. Like, yeah, it would be yeah, an insane yeah. guy. But this is, again, comic book reality. This is verisimilitude. Again, yeah. thank you, Donner, for putting right. that in. You know, it's in, had a it's in the comics yeah. already, but, like, yeah, in the movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the idea was Batman is insane, but then when he falls in love, he turns sane. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the summary that Ham usually the reverse came up with yeah but th th I thought that was really interesting I don't think that's conveyed in the movie it okay feel that way in the movie because like, the love story does not feel very front and center as much as it does in the original Ham draft you don't really care about Vicky Vale as much as you do in the Ham draft like there's a lot of characterization that's when just not she's there. like damn near going down to blow the Joker what it looks like in the last <laughs> in the last in the cathedral scenes it's a little um. That was definitely onset rewrite. It should have had a little more um, if, in a perfect world. I yeah. the movie fucking rules, but you know what I mean. Like it, there's less. Uh, it's not that emotional. It feels like I don't know. Yeah, it no, should I be agree. like more emotional for Bruce or something. Right. Yeah. Like there's the beat at the end where she talks about how he saved everybody. And, yeah. And, and Batman's like, "You saved me." In terms of like, "You yeah. saved my sanity, yeah, saved my yeah, soul." Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's definitely not conveyed at all. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, classic movie, but not quite what was originally intended by the writer. They, there's some. There's. There's ultimately some disconnect between Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne and Batman 89, wouldn't you say? In the final movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even close to what was in the original yeah. draft as we covered in that episode. So uh, so you're right, you're Jose. Right, Jose, Jose yeah. right? Jose, yeah. yeah. Jose. So thank you, Jose, for uh, all your comments. We definitely uh, acknowledge and read them, and I thought we, I would bring that up in the show. Okay, cool. cool. All right. On to you. Okay. Once again, <laughs> we'd like to thank Kuki and Arms. Do it like SNL guy. <laughs> Matt Herring, Elijah B, Shamrock Balls, Aaron Willett, Ian H, Dan D, Leomo, and featuring Super Inframan. Please join the Shasta Army. That's our one dollar tier on uh, patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And then uh, check out the five dollar tier. That's when it really gets good, y'all. Yeah. We got the deeper dives. We got all kinds of shit on there. Um, <laughs> that's weekly. Yes. yes. Uh, it's not $5 per episode. It's $5 per month for every week. So four, yes. four extra episodes. 
and we do deeper dives into what we already covered. So if you've heard our Batman 89, is that a ripoff of Strange Apparitions? We go into the sequel arc of where they covered more of what was really going on with the ghost of Hugo Strange. Or right. you heard our Dark Detective one, and we go into the other stories of Silver St. Cloud, including the one where she's with Elmer Fudd, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, so for the Patreon, too, if you're, if you're new to it, I just thought of this, but, um, you know, you can do what I do when, with my, when I cancel subscriptions. Like, if you want to pay for just a month, even, I actually tell Siri, like, uh, remind me in a week to mm. cancel that subscription. Right. Or, you know, say, okay, Google, tell your Google Assistant, you know, Remind me to cancel in a month or whatever. And uh, you could do it that way, too, if you want. You know, it's just an idea. But yeah. the idea, you know, you can cancel your Patreon subscription anytime. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that's monthly. So, yep. and there's others as well. We, I mean, we have, like, mugs and shit on there. <laughs> All kinds of shit. Super so, Inframan has one. <laughs> yeah, Super Inframan has one. He sends a picture. Did we ever Instagram that shit? Uh, we did not. Let's ask him. Right. Let's ask him if we, we can Instagram that. that mug. Okay. <laughs> Um, he's the first. That he, yep. As of this recording, dude, you are the only one in the world with that mug. The super, yeah, hero stuff. You should know mug. So yeah. So there you go. Um, please leave us a review in uh, in iTunes. Helps us out immensely. And again, just to explain that, um, I'm not. Ju- we're not just saying that. Uh, whenever somebody leaves a review, it increases our visibility in the iPod in the iTunes ranking. It, uh, it's like a, it's it's a, it's just a search engine optimization kind of shit. It's yeah. SEO kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So if you leave us a review, even just like five stars, four stars, one star, who you know, leave us something um, that can just help increase our invisibility in the iTunes store. Um, Spotify is making uh, you know it's getting bigger and bigger, but still iTunes is a pretty yep. big deal in the podcast game. Uh, after that, um, please record something on your phone. Uh, so, like, it could be anything. It could be a voice. It could be a regular voice. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it's a voice recorder app. You already have it on your phone unless you deleted it already. Uh, it comes default. And uh, record us whatever you want. And then send that to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. Okay? And uh, if you have any troubles getting that to us, let us know in the comment section or whatever. And uh, we will try to fix that. But, uh, yeah, you can share it directly from the app. So uh, I thought I'd just give a little bit more uh, yeah, explanation no, this time definitely, around. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I usually skim over this shit. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. Please check us out on YouTube if you're not already. If you've been a podcast-only listener, we've been doing it Rogan, and we got it on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. If you're on YouTube already, you already know. Um and uh, that's it. Over to yep. Ben. All right. You can follow us on Twitter as well, on SuperHousePod, uh, which is mainly me tweeting on that type of stuff. But sometimes we retweet a lot of uh, fan-made material or other uh, other things that are relevant to our episodes, yeah. uh, actually, which is what I've been finding, interestingly enough, uh, lately. Uh, let's see. You can also follow us on Instagram at SuperHeroStuffPod, uh, as well as follow me on Instagram at BenWanWriter. And I believe that is it. We are going to take off, up, up, and away to uh, return next week with part two, or actually part three, part two of the movie, of uh, what happens in Metropolis. Stay tuned. Uh.